if I decide to myself or throw up in about three minutes, you know why. Press record, okay? Yeah. Oh, I had pressed it, yeah, so. I see that. When JB hops on the screen, it's going to get real. You better push the red button, so. Oh, man. Nice jumper, Ivan. <laughs> With a polo. Oh, God. You're classy. Uh, we don't we don't rate that kind of uh, kind of you know <laughs> dress code in this room, but that's fine. That's great. I yeah, I was about to say it's just just it's, it's a typical English thing to come home and get changed at one in the morning into a jumper and a polo shirt. <laughs> what you don't see is there's pajamas from the waist down. I hope no, there's nothing from the waist down. <laughs> he's I was going to show you then, but um, yeah, yeah, okay. just, just joggers. Yeah. He's Porky Pig in it. <laughs> I love that expression. Lounge trousers. Lounge trousers. Welcome to the Plastic Posse Podcast. We're glad to have you along for episode 38 as we discuss the hobby we all love, scale modeling. My name is Scott Gentry, and I am joined by a group of friends who are some of the best modelers out there. From Denver, we've got John Banani. Joining us from D.C., we've got T.J. Holler. From right here in Utah, where I am, Doug Smith. And last but certainly not least, his lordship, Ivan Jensen-Taylor from the U.K. <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> We're also joined tonight by a very special guest. We've got Stan Spooner from the Model Box. Welcome to the Posse, Stan. Thanks, guys. This is going to be fun. Welcome, welcome. Banter. We need some banter. 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 DJ, you got you got any banter? Well, no, he smashed a kit while we've been talking. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I I think it, what you was it the raccoon you're working on right now or raccoon? Yeah. How do you how do you say it? Raccoon. That's the okay. way I say it. Okay. Well, you know, there's controversy with Cooster and uh, however else they say it, too. Well, that's because the SDR is all in German, but the Mercer uh, stuff's all in English. Ah, nice. How, how's the uh, how's the raccoon going? I know you shared some photos with the decals with us. I like the fish bone. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, ready for weathering. It's already been matte coated and decals are down. It did not take me multiple hours and or days to finish decals because it shouldn't. So real quick, I want to jump in on this. Um, let's talk about this specific topic in five seconds. Um, you did decals from a from a bare finish to clear coating in how many hours? It to- like in total pain to- or just total in process? Like when you started the when you started decaling to clear coating it. What was that time frame? Uh, well, last night last night I put on a pretty thin coat of X twenty two. Was the last thing I did before I went to bed, and then today when I got home. I think I got down here around 3.30, and by 5.30, I was done decaling. Hadn't matte coated yet. That's only because it was dinner time. You said 18 decals, TJ? 18 decals, yeah. Is this on a Mac kit? Yeah. 
I only, I only ask because, you know, there's, like you said, TJ, some people say you have to wait days for decals to dry. And I'm impressed that you ripped through that pig, or should I say raccoon, in an afternoon. I used... Um, Microsoft? Uh, or what? Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark Fit Strong, the, the Tamiya stuff. stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. I used this. That'll bend aluminum. Yeah, for <laughs> setting it. This yeah. is what goes down first. This goes down, decal on, this a little bit on there, let it sit for a yeah. minute. Like literally a minute, press it down with a damp Q-tip and get everything out. It'll look to see if everything's down, put another coat over it, let it sit there for a minute. And if there's any wrinkles, which all my machining gear kits are textured, so the surface is not smooth like at all. It's very rough. I'll just press down and work at it. When it looks relatively dry, I'll touch it because you're not going to mess it up. They're pretty... Wave decals are thick as hell, so yeah, you're not, it's hard to mess them up. Very similar to Hasagawa and Tamiya. Yes. Tamiya, yeah. yeah. You might as well be putting armor plate on. Yeah, <laughs> then I throw a little bit of uh, microsole on it and make sure everything's down, and then that's it. Do you clear coat over the top of it once you're done? Just to mat it down. I don't. So what I also do is I use a very uh, soft fiberglass pen. Mm-hmm. Like one of those adjustable ones. When ev- when everything's dry, I just take that. I do like this over it. Burnish it. Burnish it down. It fades them a little bit, which is good because it fits with the aesthetic. And it really helps eliminate the carrier film like on the sides. And then I hit mm. it with a little bit of matte coat and move on. Interesting. Okay. Just talking about decaling. I don't have time to spend three days decaling. Oh, yeah. So you get you guys can probably get the Tamiya Mark Fit stuff quite easy. It's quite hard to get over here. How does it compare to say Solver Set or the the Deco Strong? I've never used Solver Set. But I can't answer. Solver Set's like acid. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> Solver Set is like the step that you use right before you go to Tamiya Extra Thin. I just go to t- Tamiya Extra Thin. Yeah, yeah, it works awesome. Yeah, yeah Mar- I like Mark Fit Strong as well. It works really well. It's it is strong though, like it will mess up some paint. I so I'm, I'm I was curious to hear that you used uh, Saul on top of Mark Strong because I've done it where I've used just Mark Strong. Now I have Saul and Set, Micro Saul and Set, but I've recently converted to only using Mark Fit Strong before decaling, kind of during it, and then maybe one more after it or two to get it to conform. But it's real good stuff. Uh, spoiler alert: I got it for free at the Nationals. To be fair, Tamiya was giving them out to everyone. Oh, seriously? You, you got it free? What? You? Free? Wow. That's Swear. the weirdest thing. That, We've got that. this running gag. It's TJ's finished a kit while we talked, and probably somebody came to the door with a free kit for, for John while we talked. So, I mean. And some muffins. Hey, you know what? Got to go with the system if it works, man. That's right. <laughs> no, we only say it out of jealousy. Yeah. Stan, you know, before we jump in too far, and I know we've gone pretty deep already, I'd I'd love to hear about your recent build. It's FA Miniatures, correct? Oh, the one that we just posted up there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a, a little quarter scale kit that FA Miniatures was really nice and sent me. It's one of those things where you basically have six parts yeah. when, you, when you get it. Have you used any of their kits or seen any of their kits firsthand yet? I have not seen them firsthand, but I sent it to the group probably two months ago. Their 48 scale Whippet and then the large like land battleship one. And they right. look gorgeous. And then when you posted yours, I was like, oh, gosh, I better pull the trigger on these. Yeah. You know, it, he does a great job at retaining the detail story and reducing it to, you know, the, the easiest amount of parts. I mean, if you're looking for a traditional model build, that's not it because there's there's, you know, like I said, five or six parts to the whole thing. That said, 
cleanup is a whole different issue there. It is with the growth trees on it and the sort of rigidity of connection points. You've got to be patient because it's brittle. Yeah. Once you clear all that out, get that sucker together. It's uh, The fit was pretty positive. I was surprised that uh, he he set it up so that there was some good positive negative interaction when you put the running gear on and so on. Uh, I will warn you because everything gets grown up through the bottom. Right. And so there is no bottom to the tank. You've got to cut all of that away, cut past the lower edge, blank that off and create some sort of bottom plate. Not a big deal. And then I chose to turn mine into a radio tank. But, uh, uh, you know, get a little bit of information out there and I'm dangerous. Yeah. It it yeah. looks really good, I, and you know right. I was in I was impressed. You know you wouldn't be able to tell it was a three D printed model. I didn't see any layer lines, and your finishes, pardon the term, just kick ass. So I think you did a bang up job on it, and certainly great for their brand. Thanks. There's there's a few ridge marks on it. You know, you can knock those down pretty much with a little bit of light sanding and some primer. But beyond that, again, the only thing you need to worry about is the rigidity of those connections and the like the fenders micro thin. I don't know how this guy does it, but man, and they're fragile. I think, I I think I broke the rear fenders off combined between the two of them five times. I mean, I've got sausages for fingers. What do you want guys? (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, uh, but at the end of the day, it was fun. It was something different. And just before that, I finished the Sheridan. So that was that was a long labor of love. I think you put enough bags on it for the whole 11th Cavalry to uh, you know store their luggage. So have you done have you done any photo research on Sheridans in the Gulf War? They look like gypsy wagons, man. <laughs> they were they were loaded so heavily. I would assume because they probably didn't want them in frontline service against T seventy twos. So they're like. Put it on the thing that's safe, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> well, these were the first things dropped in okay. to to uh, sort of create a hedge. This is this is Desert Shield, not right. Desert Storm. Although, uh, okay. you know, in the blink of a day, you're now in combat. But this is period correct for Desert Shield. Pair, uh, the uh, owner and publisher of Abram Squad, whom that's going into a publication for it gave me a bunch of amazing color photographs that he got from a book in Japan. I have no idea where he got this thing, but a great reference. Every stain, every scratch that I could find has photo reference for it. It was a lot of fun to try to replicate that a long process. And the uh, RFM kit is not the quickest build. Let's just put it that way. Have you guys built RFM before? Yeah, yeah, we had a we have a group build uh, for the T thirty four eighty five. Not a perfect kit, but a, I think a really good kit. Yeah, you know, we had some things that we had to sort of challenges that we had to sort of get around, and there was a little bit of variability from kit to kit. You know, mine had some lower hole issues that John and TJ and Doug I don't think really face. So there's a little bit of variation, but yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good overall. Okay, well, Scott good. doesn't understand that I don't know armor, so when there was an issue, I just put it together and said, it looks good to me. <laughs> as long as you remember the great adage in armor building, if something's wrong, put a tarp on it. You're, yeah. you're solid, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's, I think one of the biggest obstacles on those kits are instructions. And yeah. in that particular kit, it gave you instructions theoretically to build two different variants, the early and the late. And it was all bass backwards. It was, yeah, it was, took a lot of, of sorting out and I still got it wrong. 
See, I, I'm I'm ready for that. I've got two decades of building dragon kits under my belt. <laughs> they 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 couldn't make a good set of instructions if they tried. So, well, hey hey John, I know you've uh, changed gears over the last day or two, but let's talk about that one sixteenth scale Stug. Yeah, yeah. So it's coming along good. It's going a little slower than I thought just because it's so big, but I was able to get some OPR work done, which is basically some staining and shadowing. And then what I'm going to do next is something that's widely popularized by Night Shift because he's awesome. Put the coin in the bucket for that uh, shout out already. But it's adding those little rust tones on the chip paint and then blending them out. It, it adds just this subtle texture and subtle tonality uh, effect to the entire vehicle. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm hoping I can get that done tomorrow. It's going to be a long process because it's just such a big palette. But otherwise, hands down, one of the most fun kits I've had in a while building. I would highly recommend it. And then also on top of that, I got some sewage from Value Gear. So huge shout out to Steve. Picked up some Stug gear from him and he sent a huge care package that I'm going to disseminate to a lot of our friends and uh, people online right now. So otherwise, everything's going good. Steve's the man. You know, that whole stowage set on that Sheridan was custom designed for that build by Steve. And then he turned around and marketed it for that period because he didn't have anything in that in that period. That's awesome. Dude, dude is a solid dude and just incredibly talented and so fun to hang out with. Yeah, that's for sure. We hung out with him at Nats in Vegas and looking forward to hanging with him again at Omaha. Just a yeah. great guy. Great guy. Well, Ivan, before you fall asleep over there, tell us about your uh, Merkava and your M3 Lee. Uh, yeah, so I'll start with the Lee, uh, since that's what I've decided to start cracking on with again. Got all that base painted and faded, and uh, recently, just the other night, I did a pin wash. Um, I did the one where put a bit of uh, Abtailand oil paint onto a bit of cardboard and let all the linseed oil drain out of it. Should be a couple of hours. I left it four days, and then just mixing a bit of odorless thinner, doing a pin wash, and I found doing it that way, it, it's much more controlled. It's very... It doesn't go anywhere you don't want it. It just, it capillaries. And this is on um, a VMS satin surface, which is actually very flat. It's, there's no real sheen to it, but it, it capillaries around all the bolts and panel lines. It's just, it's beautiful. So there's hardly any cleanup. And because it's oil, like Night Shift said, ding, there's the other coin, because <laughs> you, you, you can blend it much easier rather than all or nothing with enamels it it just blends beautifully so and that's that done it's it's unfortunately killed a lot of the contrast i tried to gain in the paint stage but i can gain that back again with oil paint rendering and doing stuff like that i also uh, broke the barrel off again unfortunately my <laughs> my modus operandi for modeling is to damage all, everything i build so I, i've had to make um Using epoxy putty, I've drilled a hole in the turret, epoxy putted a little slot, so now the barrel can just sit in there neatly rather than just having a flat butt-to-butt joint, which it was prior. So I'm not worried about that anymore. That's fixed. I've also painted the star, hand-painted that on the turret and made it look like there's white paint dripping down. Uh, I didn't want it looking too perfect. And on the side of the hull, uh, I couldn't think of a serial number. And I was like, well, screw it. I'll do the dates of what day the national star in the US. Unfortunately, I did it in UK date. So it might look a bit odd for you, but I've done it in the proper way. Wait, 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 proper way. <laughs> you drive on the wrong side of the road. Come on. So 2007-22 makes sense. More bigger, big, biggest. I'll leave it at that. Moving along to the, the Merkava or Merkava. Uh, yes, this is a build for Marcus at TMMI. I got it built in two days, which is crazy quick for me. And it's quite a complex Tacum kit. There's mold lines on everything. It's it's one of the earlier ones, so there's a lot of cleanup. And it's a bit clunky. That's how I can describe it. It's a bit clunky. 
but it's it's a, it's a nice kit. It look the the Mercury is massive. It is a beast of a tank. Comparing it to other things, it's a unit, and it's cool because it's got the, the chains. Yeah, on the it the, the overall shape is beautiful. They did a great job on the profile. Oh, You're it's, it's, that for Marcus. Did I hear that right? Yeah, I am. Um, it's, it, he wants a his words a big build. I don't yeah. know what that means really. Um, so I don't that's know if that's Marcus a full language. That's Marcus. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Marcus starts off. I want a big build, so it's like just yeah. the tank, or do you want a full scene with like a hundred figures in it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's all built, ready for paint. I've also got two Edward Zeros to build for him, so they're aircraft, and I'm just not not in the mood for aircraft. He's keeping me busy. Wow. He is. I I also did uh, yesterday three new kit release reviews for him, where to take a picture of the sprues and write 250 yeah. words. Uh, three of those were submitted yesterday, so you might see them in February or March's issue of TMMI if you read it. Now is your is your Merkava going in TMMI or in MIM? I think that one's going to be a TMMI one. Okay. Yeah, because um, the the ICM Model T Ford, that was in MIM. So okay. I think it's just going to vary between, depends how big the build is, I think. Right. But I've been surprisingly busy. The, pre- the reason I'm so busy is because I'm back on my diet and because I'm really hungry, I need to distract myself. So modeling's <laughs> a good way of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> He's saving up calories for corn dogs, baby. Right. Well, well <laughs> t- t- today, pizza. <laughs> t- today was weigh day and I lost four and a half pounds. I'll take that as a win. So Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Good job, well, man. Good job. How many stone is that? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I don't even know what that means. I just hear people say, I lost <laughs> five stone. stone of what? <laughs> what does it mean when Ivan has stones? I don't know. <laughs> Pound, pounds and stones make sense. <laughs> Long as they're not kidney stones. So. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Doug, what's going on over there at the uh, modeling casa? Well, I tried real hard to get going on that mini art M3 Grant, and I put the base, the bottom plate together, and then there's two parts. the The front of the hole starts there, and there is nothing on that kit that makes me understand exactly what angle it needs to sit at. And the other part that goes on it, I, I don't, I don't. The instructions are vague. The the way it aligns is vague to me. And so I just kind of pushed it to the side because I don't want to screw that one up. And we were talking last week. A bunch of us got on and we're just, just kind of chatting as we built. And I looked over and there's my, my Bandai speeder bike that I'd started, even painted the hole on. And I pulled that over and I just started started weathering and chipping up the, the engine parts and stuff. And by the time we were done that night, I had most of the hole assembled the whole thing's together. I just need to, to do a little detail work and then decide how I want to do the figure for it. Yeah, I really like the chipping you're doing on the whole of that speeder. Yeah, that one was fun. I wouldn't be too concerned about mini arts instructions. They are like that. They are very vague. They're just very well, busy. Well, if it was vague. something that I could look at on the exterior and understand mm-hmm. kind of how it sits, but that one part, that, that third part that goes in there, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even know what it is. So I'm going to have to do some digging before I go any farther with it. If you can send me a picture, send me a picture of the that part of the instructions in the part, and I'll see if I can add anything that might help that. All right, that'd be great. Just wait until you get to the tracks. They're <laughs> they're they're an understatement. They lack pedigree. That's my new phrase for uh, <laughs> for for things that aren't great. Master club. Well, the other thing we can do, uh, Doug, is uh, if you haven't found a solution by then, we can take it with us over to uh, Denver to JB's house. Uh, But anyway, yeah, JB, tell us about a couple of shows we'll be attending here in the near future. 
Yeah, so February 19th and 20th, Scott and I are going to meet Jim Bates and a few other people up at the Northwest Scale Modelers Show, which is being held at the Museum of Flight in Seattle. So if you're listening, if you're in the area, please stop by. It's both days. I think I'm going to give a seminar and then Scott and I and Jim Bates are going to talk about social media and podcasting and YouTubing. So please stop by, say hi. We'll definitely make a trip out to Skyway Model Shop and then we'll also probably hit up some of the local museums too. So super stoked about that. We fly in Friday morning and Jim Bates, our chauffeur, is going to take care of us. And then a couple more people. So John Everett and then also our good buddy Steve Baker from Denver as well. So the posse's coming in hot and that should be a lot of fun. Again, that's on the 19th and 20th of February. And then probably more importantly than that is the posse gathering in Denver. So during the weekend of March 11th, the IPMS Commies, which is a club here in Denver, is hosting their annual show on March 12th. And TJ, Doug, Scott, Jim Bates, and other people are coming into town and we're, we're just going to have a blast. So look for a lot of content from you know the, the 11th to the 13th of March. It's going to be really fun. The show's out at the fairgrounds. It's about 20 minutes away from my house. I, I think it's it's going to be like uh, it's going to be like real world, but for modelers. So I, I feel like I'm going to have a hotel at my place. There's going to be people sleeping on the floor because I ran out of bedrooms. Uh, somebody's probably going to sleep in the shop as long as they don't touch anything. And uh, it's going to be a great time. So really looking forward to that. And, and, and it's just, I'm really happy that everybody's coming out and it's something maybe we make a tradition and rotate. So maybe we come out to Utah at some point or DC to visit TJ and, and see the Beltway there and the museums that they have. So I, I, I think this is just an awesome, uh, just an awesome experience we're going to have. You have a crew going out from San Antonio for that one too. Oh, that's right. Rob. Rob is coming. And then I think his team, a couple of his folks too. So I will, uh, I might have to get two or three briskets and, uh, pork shoulders to smoke. So copious amounts of meat. You'll have the meat sweats when you leave my place. Yes, John, you are the master, but that <laughs> that uh, smoker is starting to look like uh, you need to make a trip to Home Depot for a much bigger one. <laughs> I know if we keep this up. So it'll be really good. Super excited. And of course, we'll have fun Fetty and then we'll have a piece for Ivan in, uh, in celebration <laughs> and we'll give him a live shout out for sure. I'll just be at home crying. I will be at the Old Dominion Open in Richmond with the Model Geeks. All of them, all four of them will be there. I am meeting them there. It is down in Richmond. It's about two and a half hours away from me. That is on February 26th. It's at Richmond International Raceway, which I think has a different name now. I know it is RIR, but um, that's where it is. I've never been. It's supposed to be a really good show. Uh, They talk about it. They talk very highly about it. So I'm excited to go. I'll be bringing a handful of model kits. I'm not going to be doing anything other than entering my models and looking at all the other sweet models and hopefully meeting people and making new friends. Ivan, we need to get him a gimbal. Get him a gimbal. I was also going to say you need to steal Darren's KV2 because he ain't building it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm going to tell him to bring it and I'll just take it. <laughs> well, I'm, to, I'm going to try to get over to his house before the show. I'm, I'll just take it while I'm there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And then you're doing, I know it's a little further out, but you're, you're planning to do the Amps Nationals as well, correct? In Newport News? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that because I've got this. I have the ODO in February. I have Commies Fest in March. I'm going to try. I, I got I, I really want to because it's not that far away. It's a little bit further away than Richmond. It's like three and a half hours. Um, it's like an hour past Richmond. So I, I'm like 50-50 right now. It also kind of depends on my work schedule. Stan, are you going? Are you going to the uh, Amps Nats? Um, it depends. I've never been to an Amps Nationals. I think that would be an blast. And then you also went to you. Did you go to the Model Fiesta? Right, that was just yeah. a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah, Model Fiesta. It actually ended up being uh, a great show. This was my first Model Fiesta. This is apparently the big show in Texas. And uh, I know they were a little worried about COVID possibly putting a, a damper on things, but I think the model count poked over 700. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's in a beautiful new facility out in a, in a place called New Brunsfeld. I had a great time, got to help Rob with, uh, you know, he was the head judge and I got tagged to, to of all things, lead up sci-fi, which was crazy. But that aside, that aside it was a, a real good turnout. Cars were insane. The amount of cars were amazing because there's a huge Houston club that came up. Had a good time. Yeah, did fairly well. You always do because your stuff kicks ass. <laughs> uh, thanks. Plus, it was fun because when you're in Southern California and you're hanging out with, you know, again, people like Wexler and, and so on. And tell me if you guys experience this too in your local shows. You sort of get slotted as to who you are and what you do and what to expect from you, right? I think I shared with you guys last night that the only way I usually can beat Jim is if he just doesn't show up. <laughs> So you, you, you go, you participate, you have some fun, you, you know, lifelong friends at that point, but uh, it's a good time. You come here, no one's seen your stuff before, at least not in person. But 95% of what I took, I think I took 13 models and they'd all been published uh, except for one. Uh, so it was always fun talking to people, asking questions. You know, they hadn't seen stuff before. So yeah, it was good. We are proud to partner with Tentcraft. They are a fabulous company that makes the highest quality products. They have some incredible new products coming in 2022. New mats, new products, and some incredibly cool stuff that they will be announcing very soon. In the meantime, check out tentcraft.com and see how one of their Pro Modeler mats and one of their awesome aluminium glue bases can really improve your workbench. The correct way of saying that metal. It's not literally the wrong way. <laughs> how many how many eyes are in aluminum? <laughs> you, you just remove one. I'm sorry. It's wrong. It's just yeah, whatever. It's a... Now that's a hill I'll die on. It's aluminum. <laughs> aluminum. Hey, uh, Ivan, if it helps, we have a town in, in Utah called Hurricane. So yeah. you got me on that one. But there you go. it's pavement, not sidewalk. <laughs> Speaking of Tankcraft, they sponsored one of our grand prizes in the Posse's huge giveaway last episode, and Ace of Spades Model Works ended up taking that prize home. We had a great time giving away dozens of prizes to the Posse. By the way, we have heard from most of you, but not all of the lucky winners yet. So if you are one of our winners, make sure you email us at theplasticpossepodcast at gmail.com so we can get your stuff out to you as soon as we can. Racquetball. It's tennis. Soccer. Trash can. Hey, soccer was their word first. Yeah. They gave it to us. Soda. It's pop. Well, it depends on what part of this country you're in. I'll I'll do this all night. I love pop, so I'm with you on that one. What about soda pop? Because I've heard it said that way, too. Anarchists say that. (laughs) (laughs) Is it my turn now? It's your turn. Can I go now, Ivan? Yeah, I'm going to get these in all night. Go ahead. (laughs) So I'm just saying a shout out to the Posse Outriders. These are listeners who support the Posse by becoming Patreon subscribers, which apparently we have now. We have recently seen strong support with lots of new supporters coming on board to support the podcast. If you would like to support the Triple P and become one of the Plastic Posse Outriders, it's really easy. Just head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash 
Plastic Posse podcast and set up a re- recurring donation there. You can donate any amount you would like, and this helps support us and offset costs to bring you the Triple P. The Posse Outriders for episode 38 are Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Steve Baker, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, I Recognize You from Mike Rinaldi's Streams, Dan Doffel, Rick Lewis, Eric Daglish, Brian McFeeters, Bruce the Model Noob, Matt O'Mara, Grant Mayberry, Thank You Grant, Paul Alexander Crystal, David Waples, Ethan Oddmill, Jamie Adamson, Steve Schaefer, and Rick Cooper. Well done, deputies. We appreciate your support. You can also make a one-time donation to the Posse via PayPal. To do this, just go to our website, plasticpossepodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner, just click the little heart icon, and you can donate any amount you'd like. You certainly don't have to donate, but we truly do appreciate your support. All would also appreciate it if you'd support us by leaving a review wherever you listen to the podcast. A five-star review helps the posse be more visible to people searching for modeling podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, please stop by the Plastic Posse Podcast YouTube channel by subscribing. We have some live streams there, and we just added our stream with the Interesting Model Company. We also plan on more live streams very soon, including our live stream coming Friday, February 11th, featuring a very special guest. We're excited about this, so stay stay tuned to our Facebook page for more details as it gets closer. Sweet, and now it's time to take a few moments and get to know our special guest. So joining us tonight, as we all know, is Stan Spooner. He is a fantastic modeler from the Southern California region, recently relocated to Texas, owner, operator, chief uh, chief mastermind over at the Model Box social media page as well that just started up. So highly recommend everybody go check it out. So Stan, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Thanks for uh, letting me join in the fun, guys. Oh, it's our pleasure. You know, we've been wanting to get you on a long time. I've certainly been a fan of your work for a very long time. Had the opportunity to see it in person twice, both at the Nats, um, the first time in Phoenix, and then you had your T-55, which I think all these folks saw too, uh, in absentia at the recent Nats in Vegas. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, thanks for for that. I was scheduled to take my family on a year-long delayed family trip to Hawaii the day we were going to come back from the Nats mm-hmm. and with everything going on, my wife said, you do realize that you will be disowned as the father <laughs> of the if you come down with COVID. So I had to make a last minute call and Wexler packed up the T-55 and drove it out. And Chris and Rob set it up on the table for me and got it registered and to no avail. But that having been said, it was still fun to have it make an appearance out there. For sure. I, I really enjoyed seeing it. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, whoa, Stan's here. And then disappointed to hear that you yeah. didn't attend. But certainly the right choice, especially uh, the family correct. trip away. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't be here today if you went and caught COVID. So I, I, I appreciate that. True. Absolutely. Or I would be living in some cold apartment because I was being forced. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> So Stan, let's let's take a let's take a trip back to maybe you know what got you started in modeling at your earliest age. You know what attracted you to it, and then what's drawn you to armor these days. And when I was six years old, uh, we went on our one and only family vacation, and it was a cabin up in the mountains in Southern California. And my father took me in town to uh, a little store that was there to get some squirrel feed, right? Because there's squirrels running all over the place. And they had a little hobby aisle in the store. And in this hobby aisle, they had a few models and they had the brand new Aurora Batman. 
hanging from the dead tree stump with the owl. If you're familiar with old vintage, you know, uh, Aurora figure models, that was like, ah! it was amazing. So my dad caved, we bought it, we glued it all together at the kitchen table and then hand painted it. He let me try a couple things, but uh, he obviously managed the larger areas. And I still have that model to this day. Very first model I ever made. And my dad, from that point, obviously saw that I was interested in it, tried to get my brother and I into balsa. That didn't work because that's what he grew up with. And, uh, and then one day he came home and gave my brother and I each, I think my brother got the monogram F-105 and I got the F-104 and I was hooked, dude. I was, there was more Pactra paint on my bedspread (laughs) than in the models. You know, I was building all the time to the point where my brother would be given a model during a holiday and he'd set it up on a TV tray in our bedroom and stop and take a break from it. And I'd sneak in blue parts, you know, and he felt pissed off at me, but, uh, it was fun. So did that until I discovered girls like most of us do. There's sort of a cyclical curve in life, right? Get back into it. I got back into it after I got married. I married a lovely lady, Jerry, who just, uh, puts up with it. Let's put it that way and started building aircraft again. And then gosh, in, O2, Marcus was out in Southern California for Tamiya Con, stayed at my house, saw my Dewatine 520 that I painted in Vichy markings and said, I want to publish it. And that's where it started. So this May, it will be 20 years I've been publishing this stuff. Nice. And you hit on a, a topic there that I'd love to discuss because I'm pretty sure some of our listeners uh, are unaware of what what is this event you call Tamiya Con? Wow, dude, that was like... Uh, the the golden ring on the carousel <laughs> of modeling prizes. Any of you guys ever get to go? Was that all before your time? I knew about it only in dreams. It, it was a it was a mythical land located <laughs> in Southern California. Tamiya's headquarters was in South Orange County for North America. They hosted the most amazing two day event blow you away. First of all, modelers came from all borders across the country, zip to the end. The, the four top prizes were a one-week all-expense-paid trip to Japan for the Shizuoka model show. Your models were put on display there, and it's the only time you would ever see thousands of people line up in a row, very orderly, to file by and look at them. It was mind-blowing. The contest was a blast. Massive categories, huge, huge sales tents, huge raffles. The stuff that they would do for you as a guest was absolutely amazing and and just had a great time for years. And then I would uh, set up and coordinate a party for all the guys that I knew that were coming into town. And, and uh, we would have what we called the brew and sprue at my house. Uh, burnt meat and beer and uh, some bourbon were all on the... Uh, on the menu and it got late and it got loud and a bunch of old farts laughing it up. So yeah, it was a great time. That's awesome. I, I think, you know, as a kid, I always wanted to go because of that all expense page of Japan yeah. for one week. You, you never hear about that. It's incredible. And and Mr. Tamiya himself picked the winners. Is that, is that correct? Absolutely. And you know what, it, you know, when you're in the thick of it and they, he picks a particular model and you were looking at it going, 
what in the world was he thinking when this is over here and this is over here? But you got to remember two key things. First of all, that man has seen more models than all of us ever combined, right? I mean, he lives and eats and breathes this stuff. But number two, it's his company. His name's on it, right? He writes the check for this. He has every right to pick what it is that he wants. That said, there were some truly amazing builds that over the years uh, floated to the top. I'm really blessed to know a lot of guys that uh, got to go and I would live vicariously through them. I could not at the time I was working for Tamiya as their agency. So that sort of put the kibosh on that one. But that said, it was a blast. Marcus would come into town, spend a week uh, at our place, you know, do the show. Yeah, it was a good time for all. That's awesome. And and the winners, and just to be clear, they were, you know, I think he chose what, one armor, one aircraft, one auto, one dio, or, or was it whatever he liked that day? No, the categories were were more ethereal than that. It was like best finish. Okay. Best story, I think it was. Best I forgot what the there was a third one and then there was the overall grand prize, which had a formal name to it. I don't really remember what that was. So because of that, the the mix of models that won were were different every year. I remember seeing them. I think they were published in fine scale and certainly they were on hyperscale. People posted pictures. And I remember always the story like, well, if you want to win a Tamiya Con, you just you make the best out of a Tamiya kit. Don't convert it or don't do anything special like showcase the kit. I don't know. There was rumors online and everybody had their little way of trying to win, I guess. I've got a great story. One of my, <laughs> one of my dear buddies, a guy named John Quint. All right. Who here is a aircraft builder? Anybody an aircraft builder? Okay. Aircraft. All right. We tolerate so, it. Will you, I don't, when you talk to Marcus, you, Marcus will, will verify this story. John Quint, probably the most, one of the most amazing aircraft builders I've ever known. Accurizer, just mind-blowingly talented. And he was a uh, focal freak. He knew everything inside and out. So when Tamiya came out with their D9, um, the first year he did it, he spent an entire year, tricked it out to the nth degree, and I never will forget. He put it on the table, and next to it is a piece of paper. I'm going, what's this? And he says, well, this is everything I had to fix. I'm going, dude, you're not going to win telling the guy that owns the company what he screwed up on on your model, and you had to fix it. He goes, no, 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 no. They'll appreciate it. They'll appreciate it. Didn't didn't even get noticed. Uh, <laughs> so that year, the next year, he's all burned out, grumble, grumble, grumble. And this guy, you know, had, had won serious national awards and stuff beforehand, all well-deserved. Another year goes by, and I take him to lunch. I said, okay, listen. We're going to do an experiment. You've got to put it on the table. It's been two years since he's seen it. And no paper. No paper. Just put it on the table and let him see it. And let's see what happens. And he goes, yeah, yeah, whatever. I said, at the very least, come over. We'll have the dinner. We'll do the brew and sprue. We'll hang out. We'll have some laughs. Okay, great. He wins. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you just, you don't slap the host, man. So, so let's fast forward a little bit. You know, you find yourself in Texas. Tell us a little bit about the experience, the the brand that you're looking to create with with the model box, and what what prompted you to do it, and and where do you see it going, and what what kind of community do you want to create with it? I think the impetus behind this is, to a great degree, honestly, came out of COVID. 
right? We're all sort of locked down. We're fortunate that we all have a hobby where we're fairly used to self-isolating and, and so on. And uh, our local AMPS club, which was, uh, they have a real active IPMS club out there in SoCal as well. But uh, I was more involved with the AMPS guys and they would do Zoom meetings like everybody else was doing Zoom meetings and so on. And, but let's face it, you know, you're, you're missing community, right? And missing being next to your friends and joking around. And that whole year, I did some building, did no painting. At the time, I had a, a, a corner of the garage, right, that I was using. And uh, it just it just didn't have the, the mojo. I don't know about you guys, but I've got to feel like I'm ready to paint. Uh, but I built, got the Sheraton almost finished at that point, uh, did a Russian APC, the Boomerang, buys Vesta. As I'm packing everything up and and coming out here to Texas, I, I was going to miss community. I was going to miss my friends. Uh, so I'm very close to three or four of these guys. We did life. We did, we traveled together. We, you know, and, and as families, not as just to go to model shows and stuff. And uh, I was, I was really praying that I would get the right mix of guys out here and make great friends and have community. Fast forward, moved out a year ago tomorrow. And uh, sure enough, the first two people I build are, or I meet are guys you know, Rob Booth and Chris McLean. Great salt of the earth guys, uh, just love them to death. And boom, immediately I have community. So I started thinking, you know what? It's, it's the community, it's the friends that makes this. It really, really is. And it's the relationships that make this hobby well worth it. You know, I would, I would never have the opportunity to talk to you about how to put the front glasses plate on your mini art kit, but you know, you make a relationship, you make a connection, you, you have a chance to help someone and, you know, memories and stuff like that grow from there. So the model box grew out of, of trying to tell those stories. Yes. We all get free crap in the mail and we get to review it every once in a while. Yes. We buy something that we think is really cool and we get a chance to talk about that. That's all well and good. But if we can, create a place where we can promote community and not just my group of friends, but others that are doing this like Scott Bricker, Bricker's Basement Builders out of DC. I don't know if you guys have ever been to his Facebook page, but dude, he's been doing this for like 11 years. Every week, a group of like six or eight guys get together in his basement. The uh, model box, uh, as it says, is model talk and social club. Uh, it, the first few posts were out there about uh, products and my builds and stuff. If people didn't really weren't aware of me and what it is I do, I got to share about Alex De Leon, that crazy talented man. Um, wanting my turtle uh, uh, that was on display at San Antonio. He loved it. He's going, I want it. I'm going, I'm not selling it to you. He goes, but I want it. And I said, dude, it's yours. I mean, how often do you get someone of that caliber wanting your model in their uh, collection? Gave it to him. He turned around and gave me one of his two commemorative knives that he had for working the Border Patrol for all those years. Pretty amazing stuff, and uh, I was just honored. And I'm going, okay, it's time. Let's talk this story. I'm going to start posting more and more stories about just not even just the groups that, that I've been involved with, the guys, but uh, other groups, and, and start to promote the opportunity for people to reach out and make connections. That's awesome. And, and you know, a lot of – I see a lot of similarities, you know, between the model box and, and what we have here at the Plastic Posse. 
you know, that was, you know, essentially Scott's charter from day one, I feel. And, you know, it's, it's certainly something, you know, like you said, the models are models, but it's really about the friendship. And, and I love what you said, you know, you, you have a core group of guys, you, you know, you look forward to the Nats, you're before the Nats is even over, you're planning for the next year. And, you know, that's the type of, you know, friendship relationship that you, you it's tough to find in life. And, and this hobby affords that. And, you know, going to the gentleman, you, you know, Chris McLean is an ex- excellent example. We, we pull into, you know, Vegas. He's never met us. He shoots me a message like, Hey, I'm hanging, you know, I'm here. My dad couldn't make it. And I'm like, well, join us. And it's, it's great to know that he's in your community and it's, it's great to see what you're doing in San Antonio. Yeah. It's, it was, it, Chris was like the first guy that greeted me walking in the door. Uh, since then, I'm thrilled to find out his felony convictions have been overturned. So <laughs> <laughs> he's just that guy. And then halfway through the first meeting, Rob finds out where I live, which I'm about an hour from Rob. I, I live about 30 minutes outside of, of San Antonio. Rob, Rob doesn't live in, in the middle of nowhere, but you can see it from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we go out to Rob's house, you know, whenever I can. He has it every week and has a faithful group of guys that go out there. Awesome. Has the most beautiful man cave room. Uh, sets up tables for us all. Pours us a nice shot of bourbon and uh, off we go. Yeah. Talk about a community builder. I mean, Rob, whether it's, you know, his role at IPMS or locally there in San Antonio or just, you know, the first time we met him at Nats. I mean, that guy just builds community and he's always looking to contribute to the model community at, at large. He's such a great, he has such a great heart and such great spirit. And he's, and he's not a slacker either, man. The guy's a great builder. I actually, uh, I have him building a piece of armor and he's ready to shoot me. I'm sure multiple times, but uh, <laughs> Uh, what's funny is he goes, I'm going to do something easy. So he picks up a 72nd scale, uh, MATV. Now, if, if you have any idea, an M- yeah, it's, MATV, it's a matchbox car, <laughs> got a little interior and then going, dude, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. Cause no, I can do it. I can do it. Well, the other day I got a photo, uh, sent to me of a scratch built out of styrene center radio rack because he said, I just bollocks the photo edge and <laughs> oh, this, this is gonna be close enough i said man put a tarp on it call it a day for sure <laughs> anyway yeah it's fun fun group of guys out here and we're looking forward to have the nets out here a year after this yeah that's gonna be awesome i can't wait we're gonna drag ivan over again he can come to the great state of texas ruins through my house uh during that week all right. It'll be fun. Yeah. It sounds awesome. So let's let's fast forward a little bit maybe to what's your next build? You know, you just finished the gorgeous, um, you know, FA Miniatures uh, tank and, and you, you finished the Sheridan. What, what's next on your plate? Well, my queue exists of things, unfortunately or unfortunately, are <laughs> things that all have to get done for publications. So uh, the low-hanging fruit at this point and the most urgent is for David Grummet. I've got to finish a quarter scale, and you may have seen it on my Stan Spooner page, uh, quarter scale BMP2. Yeah, that's uh, gorgeous. In, in, uh, in Ukrainian-clad hillbilly armor. Again, I don't know about you guys, but doing the photo reference search on this stuff is some of my favorite uh, yeah. uh, aspects of these builds. 
Uh, I can see an RPG go right through the side of those bed springs hung on the side. But anyway, that having been said, so um, uh, Tank Mania did a beautiful resin kit of that. I'm tricking it out, building a scene, scratch build a monument that I was sent some photo reference on. And uh, that's for David. And then uh, I've, I've got to start painting and finishing everything that goes around it. The um, Boomerang, the Russian APC, their newest APC that I scratch built, all the most current mods that they are. I think they're testing it in Syria. Uh, at least that's what I understand. And um, the two kits that are out there is the Zavesta and the Panda kit, neither of which have any of the anti-personnel and smoke discharger mods that are on there and uh, met up with a, a great guy slava uh in russia who was kind enough to send me a bunch of pictures that he had from parades you know this nice. is this is stuff that you're not going to get in a publication and then i found a video online where i did a bunch of screen grabs scratch built all of that so that's going in abram squad so got to finish that up next Nice. Yeah. You know, going back to the BMP2, our friend Aaron Cook, huge 148 scale armor fan. And when you started posting pictures, he was going nuts in our chat because, you know, someone got a hold of it and someone very capable got a hold of it. So we're certainly looking forward to what you do with that. And, and like you said, the reference material behind those vehicles in conflict right now is it's honestly a treasure trove and, and super inspiring and influencing for styles as well and can prove every IPMS judge wrong when they say things are overweathered. Yeah, absolutely. And let's face it, you want you want a subject where you can just go crazy with battle damage, add-on armor. Literally I found a picture, I'm not kidding you, of a BMP2 off the back of it is a orange life preserver ring. Nice. Why? Why? I'm in the train, <laughs> right? It's hanging off the back like it was a set of those uh, chrome balls they hang from the. the <laughs> right? But I'm putting it on there, not the chrome balls, the the uh, the, the life preserver. But you know, it's just you're going like, why not? You know, it's not a bucket, but hey. Right, right. <laughs> it's it's not a bucket. It's great. Well, the first armor piece I ever got polished was for our infamous friend Marcus was the 48 scale Sherman. And that was in 05 because I needed a break from the Mustang book. And uh, honestly, I was hooked because I didn't have to paint a cockpit, man. Just close that sucker up. And of course, now with full interior kits, you you didn't dodge that bullet anymore. So Yeah. And, you know, armor modelers, we get all the chicks too. So it's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, do me a favor, fill me in later how that works. <laughs> yeah. uh, Just wait until it gets to America. Yeah. I, I'm dr drowning in babes. <laughs> slayer. He's a, he's a slayer. So Stan, you know, moving forward, you know, one of the things I've always admired about your work is is really the way you display it. It's it's simple, it's classy, but it's uh, it's just innovative. You know, you you have your square base, and then I don't even know, it looks like a home plate kind of turned a right. little bit sideways, right. and then you do the custom graphics on it. And I think it's extremely professional the way you present your pieces, and I just like it. What what gave you the idea to do that? Is this your graphic design nature? Oh yeah, I mean, as a living, I do three dimensional environmental signage design. We do it for Disney and Warner and Universal and all types of municipal and transportation clients and, and just all types of things. So I tend to think three-dimensionally. And to be completely honest with you, I suck at dioramas. I absolutely blow. I have no idea what I'm doing. I've got that giant FAQ book. I open it up. I fan through it and go, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> 
someday I'm going to have to face that. I got to do a little base for the Sheridan. But uh, in the interim, this became something that allowed me to put the tank down on the table at a three-quarter front view, which I always think is the most appealing angle. Let's face it. If you put that down on a three-quarter view on a square base, the first judge that's going to come up is going to turn that thing, you know, face forward, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to look at that down down uh, the front line and see whatever it is they think they want to see. By having it on that base and by having then the graphics on the uh, parallel baseline with the edge of the table, they can't turn it. They got to look at it in a three-quarter view. Now, eventually, mm-hmm. judging, they'll turn it around and stuff on that base, but at least it has a chance to be seen the way I want to see it. That's awesome. So, Stan, you know, one of the questions we love to ask our guests is, what is your magnum opus project? If, if you had to look into the future and, and pick a build that, you know, you want to you wanna hang your hat on before, before it's all over, what, what would that be? <laughs> well, you know what's funny is, and I, I've forgotten Daniel's last name, Spanish modeler that works for AK. Zamabide. Yeah, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> so Daniel about eight months ago popped up with his his first steps in a project that I've been hoarding crap for for a couple of years now. I am a huge fan of the XF5 U flying pancake. I always yeah. have been way back in the day. The first Nats I ever went to was Albuquerque. Drove out with a buddy of mine, and there was a guy. Remember the little Hasegawa seventy second scale kit? There was mm-hmm. a guy that did one in Israeli markings. Like we had sold these off like we do surplus to anybody else. And it was it was magic, man. It was such a cool story. He did such a beautiful job on it and it stuck with me. So I bought the the quarter scale resin kit when it came out. I forgot who who the, the company was by, but uh, it was really rough. It was one of those where you're going, yeah, do me later, put the box <laughs> on the shelf. And then Kitty Hawk came out with their kit. Of course, had to buy two because I mean, where you choose to break every single thing on your tank and fix it. It takes me two kits to build one because I'm launching parts off into the, the stratosphere apparently. So I bought two and I wanted to do one in Korean service. Well, then Daniel's popping up with his. That's not going to keep from doing it. Uh, and I'm going to approach mine a little bit differently. But uh, as far as aircraft, that's what I'm putting my foot back into the pond with. And then, I don't know, I, I used to build cars when I was a kid. I love I love that stuff. Uh, there will be a time when I, I actually get to get back into that. And, and I love uh, IMSA, Le Mans type uh, subjects from the uh, late 60s. My Holy Grail kit, I know you guys were talking about this the other day, if someone actually finally popped up with a quarter scale MI-28. Okay. Uh, yeah, just sign me up and lock me in a room because I'm done. I, I have very esoteric taste. Matter of fact, the only thing I'm not really don't have the collection a lot of are ships. So there's a few in there, but not a lot of them. And then sci-fi too, I assume, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I I have a fair stash of mech. Of course, it's that great mashup of armor and sci-fi and stuff like that. A few Warhammer kits. I enjoy that stuff. You know, it's it's complete freedom. Stan, I have three full armies, so I know. Do you really? <laughs> well, Alex, Alex Smith, the Warhammer shit is. There you go. Drugs are cheaper. Yeah, yeah. they are. <laughs> That's on top of everything you can see behind me. If you guys ever get a chance, come out to Southern California, go to Brookhurst Hobbies. Henry Tremblay's shop is just, you know, it's not, it, it doesn't have multiple levels like Colpar does, but it is. 
a, a massive selection of kits on the shelf. I have tons of gaming as well. Has a whole separate 2,500 square foot footprint for gaming nights. And five years ago today, we started our model club out there called Sprue Cutters. And every year we hosted a show. And this was our first show five years ago. I guess it would have been last Saturday. Uh, you know, 700 plus models for a hobby shop show is not bad. He's very generous and speaking into the different clubs in the areas. Yeah, it's well worth the uh, the trip, man. Definitely need to make a trip back to, uh, to SoCal. Take your credit cards. <laughs> a block of ice and then go. Well, the problem is I have an Apple Watch, so I can just scan it <laughs> before I leave. All right, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. You know, your commentary on this episode isn't certainly over, uh, and we're going to go into some more of our segments, and we'd love for your contributions there as well. But again, thank you so much for this conversation. It's really great, and I want to encourage all of our listeners in the Texas area, please. We'll certainly share the model box on our Facebook page. But again, we'll have Stan's information up there as well. If you're close by, reach out, become a part of that community and, you know, champion it. And we look forward to coming down and seeing you sometime. It'll be fun. We'll see you guys in a little over a year. Sounds good. Will we see you in Omaha? Uh, reservations will be will be made. I will register for the show. And it really is going to depend on work schedule for the other business and I have grandbabies showing up next week. So we'll see how all that goes. That said, that's the intention. Outstanding. We will definitely have a drink for you there. You know, we'll, we'll pound cheeseburgers or whatever Ivan wants that night. Tacos from Taco Bell or. Yeah. Just put that weight loss on hold, Ivan. Just put that on hold. I'm losing it just so I can put it all back on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners, we're going to jump into our next segment. We're going to bring something back that we haven't talked about in a little while, and it is social media shout outs, except we're going to give it a little twist this time. Instead of calling out specific profiles, we're going to have a quick look around the, the social media environment and pick out things that we've liked within the last week or so and, and just talk about them. And, you know, it could be anything from a build from a modeler to a new release uh, to something that just caught their eye. And, you know, I'll just start off with Scott. Yeah, I've been watching a, a guy's channel. His name's Chris Olson. He's on all the platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. But the project that he's been doing that caught my eye is he's working on one of those Polar Lights uh, 350th scale Klingon Katinga battle cruisers. And he's he's uh, doing the full paintwork and uh, lights and everything else. So I've been looking at that and he's been releasing uh, frequent updates and videos on that over on on his YouTube platform. So I really have been following that with interest. So yeah, that's what kind of caught my eye. Awesome. Ivan, what was uh, what was what was on your radar this last week? I shared it to my Facebook page and it's because it, 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 it stood out to me just as soon as I saw it. It was um it's in an SU seventy six by Marion Berg. Uh, it was on the Mini Art fan group's Facebook page and it is it's just gorgeous. It's um it's only half built but it's because he's doing all the paint work uh, on on the hull and the it's just it's it's just outstanding. <laughs> the layers of green. Um, green is a great color to work with, but they've just done a, such a fantastic job. Uh, around the edges, it's darker, and there's so many layers of different tones, different patinas, and it's nicely chipped. It's it's weathered, but it's not in your face. Everything's very deliberate. It's just a, it's like very precisely executed. It's just a gorgeous looking piece of work and it's it's only half done um but if you want to check that out it's on the mini art fan groups facebook page it's the uh, su76 by marianne berg it's stunning yeah it is gorgeous yeah i saw that one it's it's really really nice great great paint work like you said tj what caught your eye this past week 
Uh, what caught my eye this was actually today. Um, just his one particular post. Uh, there's a modeler named Andy Butcher. He goes by ABC Mecca on Instagram and I believe also on Facebook. Yep. He is currently building a machine and Grieger Falke, Falk, however you want to say it. The thing that looks like a flying lobster. <laughs> um, it's all awesome. it's, it's one of the coolest designs. Um, he's doing one and it's um, he lives in Australia, so, so it's wintertime or no, it's cold there, but it's summertime. So he is doing a uh, winter theme, even though it's not winter there. And it is a uh, whitewash. And he claims he's never done a whitewash before. And I have a hard time believing that because it's, it's really good. Yeah, he he posted he's been posting his whole kind of SBS on that almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice. And correct me if I'm wrong. He hand brushed the whole thing. No, I think I think some of it, some of it's hand brushed. I think some of it is airbrushed. Okay. It has a it has a metallic undercoat that right. I know he, he that I know he airbrushed. But I think the color coats were uh, hand brushed. Right, and that's what impressed me the most is where he had a metallic undercoat and then hand brushed on top of it. And I'm just thinking like that's that's impossible in my mind. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. It looks really good. And his Luna like Diver a, was good. Too. Oh, his his Luna Diver is. I, I've told him mul- multiple times. I share his stuff on in like my Instagram story like all the time. It's really good. He's he's super good modeler. Yeah, and he only has two hundred sixty six followers. He deserves. Yeah, like I, I don't know thousands. why. He, he should have way more than that. That is awesome. I'll just go real quick. What caught my eye is a close friend of the pods, which is Darren uh, from the Model Geeks. His F eighteen, his Ming Hornet. Holy cow! It is looking fantastic. He, he he's uh, he is slamming that thing together and making it look easy. I the finish is absolutely gorgeous. He just shared some pictures in our in our text message group not too long ago that, and I think he shared them online too. And we'll be sure to put them on the page where his weathering and the subtle tones in the different panels, it's just gorgeous. And then his alignment on everything is chef's kiss. It's He's making that kit look easy. And uh, I kind of want one now just based on his build. He is 100% crushing that thing. So he talks about it in their episode that came out the day, today when we were recording. I want to say he, he started that kit January 1st. So he has like less than a month of work on that kit. And he's, I think he's getting really close to being done. That's crazy. And it look, it is so clean. It like, I don't know how these aircraft guys do it. I, I don't know. It, it boggles my mind, but. And the Hornet, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the Hasegawa kit, if it's the main kit, they, they have kind of a reputation of really being difficult in the nose section and in the aft section where the engines are. They just are problematic for modelers. So seeing Darren do such a high quality job in such a short time, it's pretty inspiring stuff. Yeah, I was about to mention that. I, I love the progress he's making on it because ever since that kit came out, all I've seen is people whinge about it not being buildable. So it's nice to actually see someone get it together and build it. It's, and, it and he's doing it really well. Yeah, and he'll probably win at nationals, and oh, we'll, have, yeah. we'll have to buy him a drink, and we won't hear the end of it. So that's 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 who Darren is. But no, no, it's shout out to Darren. Really great work. Keep it up. Very inspiring to all of us who build uh, ground pounders, and maybe we'll come over to your arena sometime. Oh, when I see it, he said he's taking it to the ODO. So when I see it in person, I'll I'll be sure to let everyone know how good it is. <laughs> nice, Doug. I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you what's what's caught your eye this last week? Um, I had, I think I told you guys about it. This uh, miniature painter came up on Instagram from England. Her, she goes goes by the uh, moniker a Miniature Palilla. She's she's just she's got some fun stuff here. She's not like 
overly detailed, but she does some really, really quality work and a lot of Warhammer stuff and other other miniatures that she does. And apparently she apparently she likes cats. <laughs> That's always a plus. I think I think she just got four more followers there based yeah. on that last uh, last caveat there. Stan, you know, you just you just popped in for tonight. You didn't get the brief, but anything on the internet in this last week caught your eye. You know, friends in parallel, Luke Pitt out of Australia is building the same tank mania BMP2, only he's doing a I think it's Syrian, the the later version with doesn't have the original issued expanded skirts. It's got bolt-on skirts and bolt-on armor on the sides. And dude's going to town. Luke, you know, Luke is 48 scale. Uh, he's been, you know, doing that 48 scale article for Brett forever. Uh, it's fun to see a whole different take on on how he's approaching it. And admittedly, I'm stealing a couple ideas. So I'm, I'm not above that. I mean, Luke's a savage. He's his work is absolutely stellar, and he's a quarter scale master. Oh yeah, and his figures in quarter scale. I mean, come on, yeah. guys. You know, I'm I'm lucky I can hold them without breaking them, and he sits there and modifies them and puts expressions on their face. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, I mean, everyone, and he always got has the pose where like the guy's arms draped over something, right. and kind of has right. like a like a look. It's just he is very inspiring, and I've followed his work probably just as long as yours. And it must be something in the Vegemite. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just a reminder: it's a biscuit, not a cookie. <laughs> biscuits are something to put gravy on don't don't tell me about chips versus uh crisps. don't don't even start the crisps chips and crisps it's crisps the crispy <sighs> it's it's a bonnet not a hood just a reminder the posse is just one of several modeling podcasts out there we're a member of a group of great podcasts and if you would like to see the list of some of the other podcasts plus other social media creators head over to modelpodcasts.com and you'll find links to many of them we also wanted to remind you all that there are lots of ways you can interact with the posse. Get ready for a plethora of peas. You can email us on plasticpossypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash plasticpossy. You can also find us on Instagram at plasticpossypodcast, Twitter at possypodcast, and YouTube plastic Posse Podcast. Last but certainly not least, we have several group builds going on. Uh, TJ, how are they all going? So I'm going to lead off with the M3, M4 group build because, holy cow, there is some, like, quality, top quality work coming out of that group build right now. I'm going to start with uh, Peter Fitzlock. Fitz, Peter, I'm going to butcher your last name, man. I'm sorry. I've said it right before. I'm not even going to try. I'm tired, so I'm just going to – you know who you are, dude. The Uh, official logo designer of the group build. (laughs) Man, his – the Howitzer Sherman. Yeah, 105. Yep. Holy <laughs> It is really, really good. I've already told him this more than once. Dude, your work is fire. Quit acting like it's garbage. I hope you're listening to this. It's awesome, dude. Like, seriously, it's really, really good. I, that's all I have to say about his work. It's it's awesome. He did the, the OD painted out stars. Oh, so good. I love it. And Hendrik Gauss. Gauss? I don't know how to say your last name, man. Again, apologize. I'm, I'm terrible with names. His... um. 75 millimeter he's i think he's doing the press steel car version of the m4 his a1 his yeah dust, yeah his dust work is so good um he started with the turret and thought he was weird for doing that i'm like uh i start with the turret too so you're you're not alone and his figure yes. oh my oh, god yeah the, the tank figure, figure is wow freaking legit it's so good uh but his dust work is fantastic 
Um, he started working down, so now he's on the. I think he's done the size. He's, I think he's down to the lower hole now. Getting that like really subtle, thin layer of dust is hard. Like and make it look convincing is difficult. I know because I've tried it and I've never been happy with it. But he's knocking that one out. Uh, Martin Drayton, I think is how you say his last name. He's finished his one build, um, which is a Chilean M51, I believe. Yeah, with a, with a diorama. It, that that's what Martin does. Um, he goes by EMD scale works or md model works or something as his facebook page he does dioramas that's like his thing and his chilean diorama is awesome with the that weird bluish color that they um they paint in their tanks and now he's doing i think it's an m4a3 with a hvss yeah wrecked is you know one of the very famous picture wrecked in the beach got graffiti all over it he started like two days later he's like almost done i'm like i thought i built fast but dude he's like He's crushing I it. I don't know how he's doing it, and uh, it's it's really cool too. And of course, we have to mention Daniel Brooker and his improved M4. He started weathering the turret, and he's another guy that whatever, everything he does turns to gold. So, dude, I, I feel like Indiana Jones. It belongs in a museum when he's done yeah, for crying out loud. It's, it's so good. Last but not least, our very own JB. Got some color on his M4A2. <laughs> yeah, it's about time. You, you, okay, so you didn't respond to my, I don't know if you saw it. What color did you use? It's the uh, ammo olive drape, uh, olive drab base, straight out okay. of the bottle. It's, it's nice. Yeah, it's a nice tone. So that'll just be uh, just the foundation and then a couple layers of whitewash will go on top of it. And I think you forgot one other person, Zach the Shizzle Nizzle Grizzle. Yeah, I did. I forgot, I forgot Zach. Okay, he's another one. He's doing stuff that he doesn't normally do. Um, he's doing the whole post shading and you know all that that kind of post highlighting, and it looks really good. And it's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because him and Peter, like Peter, posted things like, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know how good it is." And Zach's like, "Bro, this is amazing." And then Peter's like, mm-hmm. "No, dude, yours is really good." And Zach's <laughs> like, "No, no, mine's not that good. Yours is really good." And I just stepped in. I was like, "Hey, you two, knock it off. Both okay. of you are awesome." And Zach's like, okay, sorry, Dad. <laughs> I mean, Ivan, your work on the Lee as well. Oh, yeah. Other, other than continuing to, to break the gun <laughs> off. <laughs> that group is just really great. And I cannot wait to see all of these kits on the table together. It's going to be just so amazing to see. A billion shades work. of a lift drop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. Kevin Kelly, friend of the yes. podcast, he finished his North African British Sherman 3, and it looks really good. I'm a sucker for tan and black camo, and uh, his is really good. I don't think we mentioned him last time. He actually finished at least two weeks ago. I don't think I don't think I uh, mentioned him last time, but that kind of ties into the fact that uh, on our spreadsheet, more and more entries are getting marked yellow, which is what I, the color I chose for done. So that's awesome. I think we're up to, I think, eight. Build more than we brought, uh, more T-34s than we brought last year. We already have more that are done and will be there. And there's a bunch that are getting really close. So that that makes me happy that you know, as the year is starting and people are getting stuff finished and we're you know making everyone's making progress. So I'm I'm really happy about that. Yeah, and Stan, I I just let you in. You know, if you have Sherman pictures, feel free to share. If you have a Sherman that you finished and want to bring it to Omaha, put it on the table with us. We'd love to have you. Sure. You know, I mean, I think that would be fun. Whether I have a uh, a Korean War, uh, the Tamiya kit, the 
uh, EZ8 that uh, I'm working on that will eventually end up going to David. And uh, we'll have to see if we can accelerate that and bring that to Omaha. Sweet. Hopefully I'm not replicating someone else's. More than likely someone's doing it. But, uh, you know, can't have enough. Can't have enough shirts on the table. We, we've softened a little bit on that because now I just want people to get stuff to the, ta- to the table. And I assume this this was I heard this was slightly motivated by seeing all the patents on the table by SoCal Lamps. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Motivated in a good way because they <laughs> did it and it was amazing. Yeah. And we got together like, why don't we do that? That that's awesome. Like it wasn't just the models. It was they showed up and they all had shirts and I did those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean it was just it, the esprit de corps around that build was great. And you know, we just thought, man, that would be a blast. I figured the guys needed the swag to show up and do that. That was fun to do that for them. That started we were on our way to the Phoenix Nats, JB. The, when I first met you and we stopped at the Patent Museum on this side of the border in uh, in California on twenty nine palms and we're going you know, they did. We did the King Tiger uh, for Denver, and we're going. This would make a great group build. And that was two years of builds that those guys put together. It was quite an effort. It's a lot of fun. Inspiring. Yeah, really impressive. Really nice. Um, all right. So now that we got that out of the way, we'll we'll just touch briefly on on the, our other podcast. Um, the T thirty four eighty five podcast is still going on. Um, we're still getting for some reason still getting more members people still building the kit and getting it done it's amazing i love it um we still have our tamia and edward uh 148 uh spitfire mark one slash two build going on the tie fighter group build still going on a couple people joined that this week too so please feel free to check out those builds on facebook join up even if you don't want to build a kit just look at all the cool models that are in there and of course we have to mention the model geeks a4 group build that's going strong. I think I have everything that I'm going to get for my kit. I bought, I'd look at them, some wheels. That's what I got. I think that's the last thing that I have. Um, I don't actually have a lot of aftermarket. I have an ejection seat, cockpit, photo etch, and the wheels. That's it. You don't need anything else, man. That's a, yeah. that's a sweet little model. So I'm going to build it. It'll be my first airplane that I'm going to complete. So it should be fun. Yeah. Please, if you're into those wingy things, please check out uh, the A4 group build that the Model Geeks are hosting. Hey, before we move on, can I say something real quick? Of course. Ivan, it's a stroller, not a pram. (laughs) (laughs) They are trainers, not sneakers. (laughs) In in her podcast baiting. All right. Well, now it's time for a really fun feature interview that we did uh, with John Murphy, a.k.a. Spud. I mean, John is a world-class modeler. He's a world-class guy former scale model publication editor. We got to interview him uh, recently and we were a little shorthanded when we interviewed Spud. So our good friend Mike Rinaldi hopped in one of our plastic posse seats to help us do the interview. We had a great time and I know you're going to love it. So here is the interview. Welcome to another Plastic Posse Podcast interview sponsored by Sean's Custom Model Tools, makers of the Super Sandy Blocks. 
Today, we are joined by a very special guest. He's a terrific armor modeler, a former editor of MMI Magazine. Joining us from the UK, we want to welcome John Murphy, a.k.a. Spud, to the Triple P. Welcome, John. Thanks, Scott. Thanks very much for having me. Really looking forward to it tonight. Also joining me today are Ivan Jensen-Taylor, and we also have a very special Plastic Posse guest interviewer who you just <laughs> might know. Uh, Mike Rinaldi joins us as well. Thanks thank for you uh, joining us, Mike. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction. And Spud, hello. Good to see you again. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you again. <laughs> so Mike and John are our old friends, so let's start out with uh, Mike. When did you first meet Spud? Ooh, that's a good question. I want to say... So it's going to be one of the Euros. And John, you probably remember more than I do in terms of the, the dates, but maybe 06 or 07? Uh, yeah. I, in person? I think it was think? Yeah, around that time. Yeah. Excuse me. I think my memory is just as bad as probably was. To, to go back in history before certain publications, it was it was probably your time with the ADH publishing, I think. I think it was, yeah. When it was called ADH, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. Model Military Because I think you'd started that mag, That's right. the Armor one. Yeah. Yeah. It was just after I left the Air Force. So it was kind of quite mm-hmm. a career change. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Were you guys, uh, did you guys know each other online from like missing links or how did that connection initially start or was it that in-person meeting? Um, I think it was sort of in person and I think it was through sort of mutual friends really as well, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, at Euro and I think um, at Euro Military, it was just all the names, certainly the European names through the, throughout the hobby. It was the event to come to. And, you know, you'd sort of, you'd be stood at the bar or in the show and someone would sort of go, oh, is that such and such over there? And and then the the introductions just started. And, and the thing with that show, it was um, mainly the social side in the evening when everybody was having a, having a beer or so. And, you know, it, the friendships were sort of... Um, sort of formulated from yeah, there. I'm, I'm trying to think it was probably it was probably Spencer and Darren and you and the and the Smith brothers and yeah. and, and is probably the core uh, at, at the South Cliff. That's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what I remember anyway. So Yeah, that was it was one of those where, you know, um an outsider would just assume it was just a load of sort of geeks talking models, which it was, <laughs> but the amount of alcohol that would be consumed as well was, uh, and, it, and and the stories it was just absolutely brilliant you know and it and it was such an, an amazing thing to have people from all over the world with this sort of common interest mm. and a, a real passion for it and uh you know it's just and like i say you know you it makes the world a small place when you've got friends from everywhere you know if i was to travel anywhere now you know you could quick quick message on facebook and someone would say oh, i only live down the road pop and visit you know and it's it's fantastic yeah, absolutely. Well, you guys have collaborated for years. I mean, obviously, you're two of the best armor modelers that, that are out there. I mean, just admire both of your work. But Mike, how how do you see John's work? And maybe how has that inspired uh, what you do as a modeler? Uh, well, I'd, I'd say, you know, one of the things for me, looking back at the, you know, maybe, maybe probably John, I think we were close to 10 years of just kind of overlap and, and working together on and off. And, you know, probably through you know, maybe six, seven years directly where we kind of cross paths and with all the kind of projects we were involved with. Um, you know, John's precision is always something I look at. I always pay attention to kind of his his attention to detail, you know, what he's trying to do and how he's trying to do it and his efforts to replicate stuff. So that's always something I, I you know, I respect a lot when modelers, it's, it's, it's as much as of their journey and I'm watching kind of what's going on with it. And how they how they pursue their goals, if you will, um, and then you know John's signature style. It's, you know he's got this. Uh, it's it's a precision to it. 
you know, and I think that's something that really reflects upon kind of who he is. And you can see it when you know him and, you, you know, you learn the kind of how he talks about things. And then it translates into the, you know, he's actually shared some of his recent work with me. And it's, it's I, you know, you almost can't tell it's, it's, it's a model at certain points in time, you know, where you're, you're kind of like, hmm, he's bullshitting you because he's taking a picture of a real tank and he's, 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 yeah. he's. So there is that. And the, and the group of people we're talking about in particular, especially from the UK, even though some of them are spread around the world a little bit. It really is. That's the thing I take is kind of the research that they do, the the, the passion that they have, and then kind of their their they do have a level of precision that they impart into what they do, and that's I appreciate that because I try myself. So um, that's usually what I take away when I look at Spud's work in particular. Well, I would I would definitely agree with that. You know, uh, looking at like the toolboxes on his um, his M5 that he did. You know, there was a couple of photos he took and. Uh, I was exactly what you said. It's like, this is a real tank. There's no way this is a model, you know, just the attention to detail for the, you know, the hinges and the weathering of that. I, did, I expected him to get worse as he got older, but that's <laughs> not the case. So apparently he's, he's gotten really, really good. So now we're in trouble. I think the pressure's off that I'm not sort of constantly churning articles out for magazines that I can sort of now take my time. And it's just really just a hobby again. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been able to sort of, not feel you've got to finish it and mm. you know cut corners and now i can sort of just put it aside come back when i'm motivated and sort of and it's like with mike stuff with the um oil paint rendering where you just do small sections at a time and then the project doesn't become overwhelming where you just get to the point where you just want to rush it and get it finished so you know that's made a huge difference that i've slowed down if anything well that sort of leads into my next question for you john kind of the same question i asked mike how has uh, your friendship and and mike's work really played a role in how you see your modeling and how you do your modeling it's i think we all do the same same with Spencer, guys like Darren Thompson, whose scratch building is just unbelievable. Um, and we tend to sort of pinch other people's sort of parts of their ideas or the techniques they're using. And then I may sort of use a slightly different product or a slightly different way. And we sort of, it's almost like a, a gradual upward spiral where we're all sort of borrowing ideas, but it helps sort of uh, improve everybody. Um, but certainly, you know, I've been watching Mike's videos and they've been great so useful and you know i I look back to the magazine times where you know (laughs) all you have is one photograph of a paintbrush touching the model and and a description of oh i'm doing this and that's all fake we're all fake yeah i I, I know i look back and if someone could see where i've got bottles and jars with blue tack on top and paint brushes and you know someone else's hand holding an airbrush and stuff like that you know you know to try and then take the pictures where now you watch the videos and it's just made things so much easier for everybody and you know like say i'll do stuff with mike and you know where i've tried a technique i'll just send a couple of pictures and just sort of say i've just tried this what do you think and and you know hopefully it gets put in the sort of the bank of you know your um useful tips and techniques yeah we reconnected probably over the covid kind of situation where we kind of shared our recent you know lockdown stories and i think spud and i hadn't probably spoken for maybe two or three years in between stuff and and i know you've had some life changes you know on your end with family and work and stuff so we lost track but then we've reconnected so but it was good because what we do is we, you know, he'll, he'll, we'll talk about certain colors and certain products and then figure out kind of like, okay, we like, we like to use it for this. And we have similar, you know, visions of what we think it will happen with, with the product or whatever. And, and so it's nice because we speak that same language in terms of finishing what we're looking for. So we've always been able to, to 
really quickly communicate and share stuff. I think the the one I think I remember the Australian Centurion from way back was was, was one I really remember from Spud. I'm trying to remember some older pieces from you uh, as we trap, you know, some of the the earlier works that we were doing back in the Go in the yeah. early 2010s and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's I, been it's I, been it's been a journey. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to think, you know, because uh, after a few years, I tend to sort of rob all the useful bits off of a model and then it goes in the, the bin or mm-hmm. it gets used as a sort of, um, a, you know, a, a test piece for a, for the sort of, you know. Well, the, dead, the deadline comment hits home, you know, when you talk about, you know, I think Spencer and other guys like Marcus would probably say the same too, where that. I'll go here. When you're crunching under that deadline, man, yeah. it's a different conversation. That's right. And it's not a contest deadline. No, yeah, it, it's different. You have to use sort of techniques that you know will definitely work you you know but i'm my own worst enemy i sort of you take less risk yeah you try yeah or i i intend to and then i'll start experimenting when i really don't have the time and it's one of those where you just got to keep your fingers crossed that you don't mess it up Mm -hmm. and you put an undue pressure on yourself but marcus bless him when i was doing stuff for the tamir magazine you'd get a kit on a monday in the post and and then you'd get is there any chance you could get this finished by friday and you know it's like and and a working form photos and text yeah, by the way yeah, yeah. the whole and thing so and you know 99% of the time I would get it done and of course you go to a hobby show and people you know that you do the thing where you lay the magazine out in front of the model so they can see that that's the, the model from the magazine and then um people go oh, how long did you take to build this and you go oh five days and they go yeah, really. And you go, no, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know something about that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm always getting, yeah, there's there's no deadline. There's no rush. Take your time. And then four days later. So how are you getting on with this? Yeah. Like, still, still in the box with the plastic. <laughs> it, it's so, it, it's, it's funny because John talks about it like it's no big deal. But I think what you were talking about now, listening to Spud, is that in the sense that you're kind of, not to say back, but you're definitely participating again. Yes. And, and, yeah. and you're enjoying the hobby. And now like what you, 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 it's an off the cuff comment, but it's so true that if you don't have to do it in five days, what Spud's really capable of, I'm not sure we really know yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think your skills are probably going to blossom and peak. And that's probably a really, I mean, it's great for everybody and you and scary for some of us. So we're like, okay, but that's kind of really that time to breathe yeah, and to, to get the stuff out the way you kind of really had always wanted to do it, it's going to be fun watching what you do with the next, you know, few projects, yeah, you know, you. for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think it was a case of having finished with the magazines. You know, the last one was the original when it was owned by Mig, the, the Weathering magazine. And yeah. I did a few issues there and, and it was just, I, I was working full time for um, EasyJet and uh, to get calls from a certain person to sort of say, how are you getting on? How much, you know, have you got most of the magazine done? I'm like, oh, I'm still at work and I can't hear you. There's a jet taxi in past. And it just became, you know, it was like, I, you know, it, it took it took what little fun there was left out of, out of the, the hobby for me. So I did sort of squeeze the dry. <laughs> I, did need to, I did take a couple of years break really. And, and then yeah. it was, you know, sort of on a subject that, you touched on on previous podcasts um sort of with mental health i had a my sister unfortunately passed away from cancer then a year later my mum passed away and then exactly a year after that my dad passed away so to be honest oh, it was yeah. the, the yeah. modeling um to start with i could i just threw myself in back into the hobby just to build stuff to take my mind off of where everything that was going on and from there it's sort of you know i've become you know accepted what's happened and uh 
really started to embrace a hobby again, you know, and really enjoy it to the point where it's become quite addictive again, you know, and I'm in work thinking I can't wait to get home and paint or glue something, you know. That's the best part. That passion element of it, that's, that's really exciting to hear that in your voice that, you know, you've rediscovered your, your love of the hobby and uh, you kind of gotten away from the, I guess, I don't want to call it distractions because Mike might get mad at me, but uh, <laughs> you kind of more of more of the business end. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about you couldn't hear the phone call because the jet take it off. I was just thinking, man, first world problems. <laughs> man, first world problems. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure this one gets airborne and doesn't fall out of the sky and make a big hole in <laughs> right. the end of the runway. And then someone's going to be safety first. Right, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, safety first. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Can I can I call you back? <laughs> That's right, yeah. right. What was that noise? <laughs> can I put you on hold for a minute? Yeah. All right. Well, my last question here: How did an RAF guy become such a damn good armor model? <laughs> I think because airplanes were my job. I had no interest in building model ones. Was yeah. <laughs> it's a fair statement. Yeah, and I, and I think if if I weathered uh, the models. To the extent I'd seen and worked, the ones I'd worked on, people would never believe that, that they they would look over weathered, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think for me, armor's always been my sort of passion as a child, really. Mm-hmm. Big, big, dirty machines. Yeah. You know? I, I'd, I'd say you're making your way. You <laughs> yes. know, you're getting. Yeah, I'm there. trying. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been friends on Facebook for over a year, about two years, yeah. something like that. And I, I, I come to know you through working for Spencer on MAI. Um, and again, I noticed how an incredibly good armor model you are. Uh, and we've we've chatted back and forth quite a bit on Facebook. And then two weeks ago was the first time we actually met at Scale Model World, which was amazing. It was great to chat to you. Like, There's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. So <laughs> unfortunately, I couldn't chat to you about everything I wanted to, but you know, it's a busy show in that. But um, for those of the listeners who aren't that familiar with you or your work, just tell us a bit about, about yourself, about you. Got into the hobby. My my dad uh, owned a hardware business, and they used to sell um, the little sort of. I think Spencer may have, may have mentioned it. You know, like the Airfix kits that were in like a little blister pack. And my dad used to bring some of those home, and I would glue them together, use the small tins of humble gloss that he used to sell, and then put mm-hmm. every decal on 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 vehicle or the aircraft deal across the whole of the upper surfaces, and it went from there. And then um, one of my uh, my best friend, a guy called Jeff, he was a modeler, and we got into war gaming. Um, he always was the Germans, so we, you know, from a war gaming stance, I was always losing because the vehicles were sort of crap in comparison to the, uh, you know, King Tigers. So I started to because the kits weren't available, I would start scratch building or converting vehicles, and it just kind of went from there. Obviously, it's a cliche story. I then sort of got a bit older, got into sort of girls and dirt bikes. And, you know, that's my big passion as I've ridden dirt bikes all my life. Then just really bizarrely, I was I was in the Air Force and I a relative gave me a Tamiya King Tiger, the you know, uh, sorry, Tamiya Yag Tiger. And, you know, I was like, what am I going to do with this? I haven't built models for years. And my wife had said, look, you know, just stick it together because I'm fed up of you moaning about so- the soaps being on TV. <laughs> and uh, it's just so coincident. So I, I went to the local news agents and they had, I can't even remember what model magazine it was, but they had this Yak Tiger on, on the cover. Um, so I ended up picking up the magazine, buying it and was like, why does mine not look like this? You know, because I brush painted it. And I think the competitive spirit in me was like, right, I've, I've got to get to this position and try to improve. 
bought an airbrush, bought all the products. And then uh, I got invited to a local model show by the local shop owner. And I entered uh, five models. I got four first place and a third place. And it was just like, oh my God, wow. You know, I was so shocked. And, it, you know, I think again, like I say, the competitive spirit um, from racing and, you know, it just got to that where I sort of became a bit of a trophy hunter for a while and then got approached by Spencer actually to say, would, would I be interested in doing a, an article for him? You know, and it was like, uh, right, okay. You know, all of a sudden it was, I'd sit there and think about how I'd actually made it, you know, and, and what I'd actually <laughs> became very real. Yeah, right. That's right, yeah. And it kind of just went from there, really. And then as we forget how old Spencer is, too, by the way. I know, that's right. <laughs> He's been around forever. <laughs> yeah, I think he says on his Facebook page, it's like, I'm a professional modeler and I've been doing this for 30 years. And you think, God, yeah, that that makes me quite old. <laughs> it makes us quite old, right? You know, that's, that's not what we want to hear. I know, yeah. I know it's like I still we still go to the shows, and I just still feel like we're the young whippersnappers that have come in and upset in the sort of the established modelers. <laughs> we're not, you know, we're the old ones now. That are, the young guys are going. When are these old fossils going to move on? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, like Ivan's probably saying it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, not at all. I mean, like, Tamiya Yagtai, that's a great kit to start with. It was, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, painted it grey. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, use, oh, wrong. <laughs> yeah, use, use some of the Belinden netting on the corners, all the cliches and the Belinden crew. Oh, yeah. The Belinden crew that made, that were probably closer to the 30-second scale. And, you know, and then mm-hmm. having gone to Bovingdon to see the real Tiger, and then you compare the size of the figures compared with a real person stood next to the real vehicle, and you think, hmm, might be something wrong with these figures, you know, so... Well, I was going to ask, when did the hobby start becoming more of a, a, a passion for you, something you knew you loved and something you wanted to do for a long time? Um, well, I, I think it's one of those, you know, when you do it as a child, it's always there, you know, and it's amazing how many people may have like a really long sort of break from it, but then they will come back at some point later on in their sort of lives when they've done all the kids and the family stuff and they can, you know, they've, they've got disposable income and, and sort of more free time. But I think for me, um, it was a it was a great release from obviously you know my job in the air force and yeah. just a, a nice way to relax. And you know, obviously, when I was offered sort of positions to do sort of regular contributions with the magazines, it was quite nice to see, you know getting this bit of extra money as well. So you know, to, to, without sounding too mercenary, impetus to sort of carry on with it. Um, so yeah, that's and then obviously I became a regular contributor for for Spencer and then uh, Marcus asked me to do stuff for the Tamiya magazine and that was around the time that I was leaving the Air Force um, and then obviously as I left the owner of ADH Publishing offered me a job starting a new magazine which again was just you know it was one thing doing articles but to actually publish a, a magazine and I, th- I think the first few issues if I was I, I probably cringed to look back at them with how, <laughs> how bad the, the sort of typos and the mistakes and stuff like that because i you know i really was in the deep end but uh certainly did enjoy it yeah it's funny you mentioned it's funny you mentioned that because like i look back at my first few articles and i realize when everyone takes the piss on facebook with when they say like you know with aircraft articles and they always take the mick of their construction starts with the cockpit yeah i realize i put that in five of my aircraft articles <laughs> What? But it's it's when you're doing it, you don't realise. But it's like now, it's like yeah, that that, that doesn't sound good. You try and improve mm. it at each one though. My typing was terrible. You know, I was like the typical two fingered typing, and I would, <laughs> I would I would take a breath, 
and then just bash away at the keys until I'd finished the paragraph and then realized that there was no punctuation whatsoever. So, <laughs> so I, it was like, I would just sort of like, if there was like a punctuation shotgun, I would just fire it at the screen and wherever the, or, you know, the commas and full stops landed, it was like, that'll do. <laughs> well, people forget there's no, there's no schooling for what we do. You no. know, we can't learn, we have to learn this all as we go. And only the older people that do it before us give us any semblance of guidance and, and even they don't share much information. And, you know, you think of other publications in the, in the regular civilian world and it's like, these are all professional journalists yeah. or, you know, people that do this out of the, out of school. And here we are, we're, we're handed this, this task of what we're doing, you know, so you have to be good at the model side of it. And then you have to add the photography side where none of us are really truly yeah. trained. And then you have to write, you know, the actual, hey, this is what I'm doing. And now you're asking gentlemen to explain to other guys, mostly, what it is that we actually do yeah. or we're doing. And that's, there's there's a fumbling of all those steps until we kind of get comfortable. So yeah, it's it's definitely um, the growth period, the learning curve is, is steep. Absolutely. The, the owner of um, ADH Publishing, Alan Harmon, uh, when I first started, said to me, he said, it's easier to train a modeler to be an ed- editor than it is an editor to become a modeler this is true you know so uh, so that was a, it was it was quite a, you know a valid point really and it, it's, it's all those little things I, i'm told at the minute we don't write in the first person and it's like that's just made things so much harder yeah and then it's like we have to write like the model was done in this i never listened to that I advice did. at all <laughs> i've gotten yelled at for it too i'm like no no you're missing the point point. <laughs> and then it's the is it in present tense or past tense and as i'm mashing away at the keys and i'll look back and mix it yeah and i've mixed them all up and then i'm like, oh, like <laughs> i'll go back all through it again you know and it's like I, I enjoy the photography i enjoy the modeling but the writing it's just like you sit there and you, you almost just sort of don't want to look at the laptop because you, you know you think oh i really don't want to do this bit but it's the bit that completes the article and it's pretty much one of the most important things so that's why i like if i've got to do an article now i like the ones that are all photo based and you just have expanded captions so i much yeah. prefer that than five thousand words with part a12 goes to part b16 you know no one cares no <laughs> one wants to read that and unless you've got the model in front of you it's pointless i always think yeah, absolutely. I want to talk to you about Telford. Yes. Really, I just want to get your thoughts on IPMS events in general and what you thought of this year's Scale Model World. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. I've been so many sort of harbingers of doom saying it was going to be a complete failure, you know, and it was always oh, only going to be two halls. But I think there were something like 80 club stands and 120 traders or something, I believe, or the other way around, maybe. Yeah, I think it was to the way around. Right, other way around, yeah. Still and, good. and there was there yeah, was an awful lot of people seemed to come through the doors on both days. Really good atmosphere. Everybody, but I think everybody that was there was just so happy to be at that event because they you know missed it so much. And it was just a really sort of positive vibe. I felt, and a, a lot of the traders that I spoke to just said they all had a really good day, and it had been you know a, a profitable event for a lot of them. I think there was some certainly. I'd say slightly contentious sort of judging on in the competition. There was some stuff that you go, yeah, totally agree with that. And then there was others and you were sort of like, oh, wow, sort of, you know, wouldn't have been my choice, but. Yeah, I, I was really surprised I didn't win gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but your your ambulance, you know, was absolutely fantastic. And it was just, yeah, you know, I, I thought that had been definitely was one that had been missed 
missed over. And I'd, I'd heard rumours that there wasn't enough judges for some of the classes and they'd sort of seconded people from aircraft classes and they'd just looked and sort of gone, it's a green green box, don't know what it is, sort of, it looks like it's been painted, yeah, that'll do, you know. So, But um, yeah, it's probably a little bit simplistic. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's the one thing that the IPMS show seems to be missing. You know, it's the largest model show in the world, but it doesn't have the kudos of, say, the European shows like Mossen, SMC, you know, where they've taken over the they've taken over from say like Euro Militaire, where you get the the world's elite modelers will you know fly halfway across the world with a, a plywood box on their lap with their the model that they're going to enter. And I think it's because it's judged by people that they deem their peers. So you know if you've whatever award you've got, you know that that's what you deserved because you've had people that are held in high esteem that have have done the judging where. At least with Euro, if you if you were invited to judge, you uh, had to bring some of your own models. If you weren't obviously entering the competition, they had a cabinet there, a display case, where you had to put your own models there. So the members of the public that came through could see that the standard of the judges' modelling, so that at least they knew the, the judges knew what they were talking about when they were, you know, uh, awarding you know uh, prizes for everybody, you know, for the competitors. I think that's understandable that somebody that is willing to invest so much into their model and then get on an airplane and risk the safety of the model to go to that event, that they would want an implied relationship where they're going to get the same level of investment in the feedback that they get back. They're going to get good quality you know, feedback, like you said, from their peers or, or people that they look up to. Absolutely. You know, and, and and that's the thing when you, you know, you don't know the standard of their modeling and it can, you can almost feel a little bit insulted where they've, you've not been awarded anything and sort of if they've got like a club stand and, you know, it's like, oh, wow, thanks. You know, they've picked you up on some tiny little details and their stuff sort of not at all comparable, you know, so... I think if if that shows to have the sort of kudos, you know, it's got the, the scale, obviously, that you know, goes without saying, but to have that kudos, they need to really revamp the sort of judging criteria and the people, you know, even if you get some of the, the sort of perceived names in to do the judging and that then, you know, if people go, oh, well, these guys are doing the judging, then, you know, they feel like it's something they want to participate in. Yeah, I don't want to get too far off of the path here, John. But just, to, I mean, since since Judging we can do that, yeah. yeah, since we've gotten into that, I just you know you've talked about the sort of the the qualifications of the judges, which is a very important element. But does the IPMS judging format? Do you think that factors into this at all, where you're competing against other models in your category, similar or dissimilar? versus competing against yourself so it's sort of you know looked at it that way do you feel that, that that's a other factor um I, I do i know when it's done in the states uh when i was uh, working for uh, mmir um, we went to the um ipms nationals in uh, columbus ohio and it was it seemed to be done very differently than it is in the uk and it, it didn't seem such a rigid formula over here so, yeah, there needs to be sort of some real standardization with it. But it is, a, it is a difficult one. You know, it's like, are they, should they be judged against the other models that are there or to a sort of standard that's been um, sort of predetermined? Great debate. Yeah, on it. yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I think really they should be judged on maybe the other models that are in, the, you know, in their class in the competition, you know, which one is the one that stands out. And, you know, so it's, it's it, instead of just a box ticking exercise, 
if you can sort of put the models, I think it, they do that in Euro, Mike, if, if I'm correct, that you'll basically, you'll whittle out the sort of chaff from the wheat and then what you're left with, you then basically line those models up and you'll start looking at each one. And yeah, then- your, first, your first pass as a judge, a competent judge can eliminate most of the table in terms of who's really yeah. at the percolation of that table or that whatever section of the table they're judging. And that's not hard to no. do. I've never found that from, from competent model builders who are performing as judges to do that part of it is easy because I think what I hear all the time is it's either either or. And I think really what it is, is there's a blending of the two styles where you filter as humans, judges, the pass through. Mm. And then you've got, okay, these five are what we really need to focus on, which I think is how Eurocana does it, where yes, they pull the right. four or five of whoever it is. Okay, now what are they go to a standard now, but there might be three gold medals here. But it's the five of those models on the table that really sing. And not that the others are terrible, it's just they're not in that cat, they're not in that level. Right, so yeah. a human judge that's competent can easily filter that through. Most of us can. Yeah, no, I think it's, know, truth it's, be told. it's so much easier when you've got models side by side, you know, because you can do direct comparisons, yeah. you know, rather than sort of same lighting, same viewpoint, same everything. You you can go through pretty quick. Definitely. I mean, just referring to one more thing about the judges. Um, there was a there was a model in in my category, and I believe it was another ambulance. Was it Dan Sankey? It was Dan Sankey. Yeah, I have to say, he's from my own model club. So, <laughs> yeah, I I think that was robbed. Yeah, um, because that that was outstanding. It was it was on a, a circle base. It was a small vignette ambulance. It was very busy. It was beautiful. Uh, like I said, instantly of everything in that category that stood out. Yeah, and it, it got nothing. Again, it's just my thought on it, but it is what it is. Yeah, no, I to- totally agree with you. <laughs> there's always those judging conversations, you know. <laughs> every year, every there's one show. I mean, like we haven't seemed to have had one for a while. So John and I, we've probably been involved in a number of, of judging conversations on the internet over, you know, the through X show at X point in time and what happened and what did. It's, it's, it's a very common thread in our hobby. I know. I, it was like the very first time I was invited to, judge at Euro Militaire and I'd been paired off with a, another sort of a, another newbie judge it was his first show I think it was a Spanish guy and he picked up a T-34 that was on a on a little wooden base and angled it at about 45 degrees to look at the side of it and it promptly slid right off the base and smashed to pieces mm. and it was sort of one of those note to self don't do that and it was you know mm. where you sort of I did that sort of instantly took a step away from him and sort of did that like mm-hmm. point with my eyes as if to say it's not me like <laughs> yeah i hate touching other guys models I, yeah. and stuff like they take a look like when they hold it up and i'm like ah no i'm okay because i just know it's gonna be the one moment that i fumble and you know it's yeah that's a that's a that's the most stressful yeah definitely yeah. <laughs> for sure yeah, I, I have this big fear and I always, I feel it even when I'm at home that when I'm at a model show and I've got my phone out to take pictures, I'm going to drop my phone on the model. All right, yeah, I've always yeah. got that horrible impending. Well, the day yeah. with the DSLRs when you're hovering. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to take pictures for the magazine, right? You're like, oh yeah, look at the, you know, and you got this huge camera. Yeah, and the cam- I like the phones. I'm like, wow, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, the cam- camera straps sling- swinging around and then mm-hmm. they've got the rucksack on and the, you know, oh, the yeah, it's a sort of recipe for disaster. Good times. Good times. I mean, you were handed a model that you were uh, oh. <laughs> afraid to hold, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Peter Usher, he, uh, the, Mind the Gap, like one of my favorite pieces I've ever seen. He literally picked it up. He said, hold that. <laughs> and I had my hands flat because I thought it was a solid base and it wasn't. It's hollow. So I, I, I nearly put my hands through the scene. I was oh, terrified. Gosh. But yeah, he got me to hold it. And I was just like, I'm shaking the entire time. I'm going to drop this because it's, it's not light either. There's a lot on it. It's heavy. But yeah, it did. To, to be able to hold that, that was awesome. Well, it was the thing with, with Peaks. He put the model on um, our club stand, which was really good. 
and again, I've known Pete for years when I was based at an RAF station not far from his hometown. So, you know, we became friends from going to the same model club. Pete had one of these really useful plastic boxes that he keeps the model in. But instead of using the handle supplied with the box, he just used a piece of um, duct tape doubled over to act as like a handle. And I think one of the handles broke up on, on, mm. on the weekend. And, and I think he did have to repair that diorama <laughs> i've seen the picture of him on his knees yeah. blowing some bits <laughs> yeah all that work and then it's sort of you know hey get a proper box for it you know <laughs> <laughs> well, well some guys will ship their stuff overseas too for the show yeah. you know there's that whole conversation <laughs> that's you know, that putting a lot of dioramas and the whole thing and i'm like guys are crazy i just couldn't do it i, I think from the time in the military and working for civil air, airlines, the thought of walking in to go through the x-ray machine and you've got a plastic model and they want to see what's inside and you've got to open this box up in front of everybody and you've got, it's my toy tank, like, you know, and I just, <laughs> I just I'm like, no, it's okay, I'll, I'll drive, you know. <laughs> it's a thousand miles, don't care, I'll drive. <laughs> That's my big fear for next year. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it depends. You're going to have to take a few, aren't you, for other people? Yeah, I'm taking a, a, quite a lot. I've got four of my own builds. I've offered to take yours and i think there's someone else who wants me to take those <laughs> no good lord that's putting a lot of trust in me that <laughs> speaking of breaking models i remember we were, we were outside scale model world weren't we and there was a oh, guy God. with that really wobbly trolley and we we could call it before it even happened and because it was wobbling so much the securing elastic band on the trolley went and two three crates of models all built oh, smashed man. to the floor I, I could feel that in my chest yeah. when he dropped oh and we just looked at each other like I called it. Oh, <laughs> but you know that's that's the thing. They they you go to all this effort to build these models. Time, money, effort goes into it, and then you know the, just something as simple as just making sure that it's secured to the trolley before you wheel it across oh, like yeah. a load of sort of rough tarmac. You know. So, yeah, because Telf- Telford's in the city, right? It's in the middle is, of the city yeah, or whatever. Yep, yeah, yeah, Telford. Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, just on sort of edge of their uh, shopping precinct. Right, right. But I guess that guy so, probably spent the weekend gluing most of those back together. I'd, I'd have just thrown them in the car and gone home. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> or that. I was going to say, they just put them away as yeah. you're like, I'll get to that later. So. So speaking of model shows as well, do you, so we know the standard of like Scale Model Challenge and the European mm. shows that aren't IPMS run t- tend to be known as the shows, yeah. the best shows. Do you ever see us getting anything like that over in the UK? Well, we had it. You were a military. You know, that was, that was, the, yeah. that was basically the Olympics for figure and and. You know, vehicle modeling um so there's no reason why it can't happen again you know I, I, it just really depends who's gonna sort of step up somebody's got to take that mantle up and Absolutely. do it yeah yeah there's no other really way to answer that same for the u.s you know i think we've mm-hmm. talked about that for u.s as well as you know the ipms conversation now the funny part is mosin in hungary is an ipms show it is they run the, the, the uh, ipms hungarian standards but uh, most people forget that part but they do a pretty good job, and I, but they've had their issues too. But I think you know probably Robert's SMC show is the yeah. standard now, and and obviously they're holding World Model Expo I think in June or July in 2022 if it goes off. It, I think what it really what it comes down to is somebody's just or a group of people have to just kind of basically do it. Yeah. And those la- those guys that ran Euro, and I know we've lost a few. You know they've they've passed from either age or cancer or something. So it dispersed from that part of it as well. And, and nobody's really stepped in, uh, in that look because the location is nice, but as far as, you know, doing a show, it's the same for the U S I think about it every now and then I'm like, I don't have the gumption, you know, 
it's a lot of work <laughs> and you really need that enthusiasm. You need the core to have the passion, the drive. You know, I think I think some of the people that, you know, like the John Bonamis of the world that are 20 years younger, they can push this through and they have the 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 enthusiasm and Spud and I are probably worn and tattered and, and you know, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. we, 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 we earned our stripes and it's kind of like we're hoping a new generation of, of Martins will come through and really, you know, maybe put something together with some other people and, and ultimately something pops up. And I, I think it will. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of how it's going to be. Somebody's got to do it and it can't be an IPMS group. No. <laughs> it's just going to have to be, you know, something um, independent. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, your former years of being the editor of MMI, uh, just tell us about like the favorite parts of that and what you enjoyed about it and your experiences in, in doing that role. <laughs> uh, was there any? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I learned a lot, that was for sure. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was really good. Made an awful lot of friends, contacts, people from in the hobby and in the industry. It was it was quite full on, to be honest. Um, you know, you'd have the 10 days to edit the entire magazine and then you'd go in and sit with the graphic designer to then spend the next two weeks getting the magazine laid out and then straight on to the next one. And I, th- I, th- I think with, with a monthly publication, you know, and you basically are chief cook and bottle washer, you know. You- and there's only a couple of you. Yeah, there's-, there's only like you and there's only two or three people involved. Yeah, that's right. It's not like there's 20 or 30 involved. No, no, you've, to lean you've on. got no sort of like staff mm-hmm. editors. You've got no sort of, you know, the, the contributors are all just guys from outside, you know, that are doing the articles. You'd have one guy from the advertising department. Um, that, that could be a bit frustrating that you sort of say to a contributor, right, this is six pages, this is a fantastic article, and then all of a sudden advertising come in and go, oh, we need that page as an advert, so we'll make it five pages and you, or four pages. And, and, you know, you sort of go, the thing is people are buying the magazine for the articles, not the adverts, but you can't say that yeah. because the advertisers like to think that... For pain, you know, yeah. so From the fun side of it, I think it was more the fact that there's so much goes on in the background that you... You don't realize, you know, when you've done a model, you've used, someone's used certain products and then, of course, someone from, you've got, the advertising people have got an advert in and they've they've gone, ah, no, you can't use those products or we don't like our advert next to that model because you've used someone else's product. So (laughs) all all this stuff in the background that you just don't realize, you know, and people, when they pick the magazine up, don't realize how much sort of, that can be quite bitchy, you know, that's going on. It was, I think in the three years that I worked for Modern Military, I only had one week off. And when I came back from that one week off, I had 500 emails waiting for me. And they're not spam. They're people saying that my dog's just eating my magazine. What are you going to do about it? And of course, you can't reply, shoot it. <laughs> right. So, you know, as much as my military sarcastic humor was like, oh, God, you've got to say this. Like, you know, and then it was like thinking your job. Yeah. And, and to be honest, then when I was offered the job, with MMIR in, in Florida and, you know, just without sounding too sort of mercenary again, to use that phrase, uh, it was sort of double the pay and half the amount of magazines. And I had a couple of guys doing a lot of the features, you know, so it, it was pretty much a no brainer and, and I got to work and live in Florida, you know, so, so that was, a, that was, that was a quite a draw. There were some perks. There were a couple there, of yeah, perks. That's right, yeah. And we had access to, or, you know, cause I think we were working, I was working in Los Angeles, you were in Florida, we're on so, the same project and we had access to a lot of good stuff, okay, you know, yeah. Good, yeah, we did have access to all the good kits and products and anything we wanted or needed. That part of it was the enjoyable part. Definitely. You know, there was that part to it. Yeah. And, and for sure. getting to travel around the States was fantastic, you know, so obviously I, been there a few times in the Air Force, but it was so you know it's nice to 
to go there and actually sort of be able to enjoy it and not just sort of pass through. So, Mike, you want to ask him some questions? Sure, yeah. I don't know if you want to get into influences and no, styles sure. or yeah, what, yeah, whatever. Can, I've got, I've got. Uh, let's see here. Let's let's discuss. Don't throw him softballs. <laughs> Come on, Mike. Uh, well, let's let's start off. I'm, I'm I'm looking at this here, and I think I think uh, knowing you the way I did, what we talked about to kind of open up things is let's talk about kind of your finishing style. You know, where let let's do it from a point of view of because it's been kind of the topic of this of, of what we're talking about. John is is really that pressure of what a magazine public publication editor contributor et cetera et cetera does, and then now how has this affected to where like your finishing style and where you, like where you want to go with what you're doing now assuming you're in a transitional period a little yeah, bit absolutely. if you know what i mean yeah i, I think for me it's uh, the use of oil paints i've i'm using mm-hmm. a lot more oil paints than i would have previously just purely because i've got the luxury of allowing them mm-hmm. to dry where when you're doing an article you know as much as you'd like to do them you've got to find an alternative product that does a similar role but you know it's going to dry really really quickly you know and and I think that's the one main thing for me is just using oils a lot more. Did you, uh, moving from in, in that vein too, was there anything that you really did differently? And I've, I personally never have made this jump uh, in size, um, you know, like say from your like Achilles or even the Centurions and stuff like that to the 16 scale Stewart. Was there really any changes that you physically had to do or is it just kind of expanding your normal stuff? Yeah, I, I actually... Um, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, definitely. Like just moving it, jumping scale. Yeah, no, it was a, a real block actually. Um, I sort of mm. uh, cracked on with the building, got that all done fairly quickly. It's really nice that classy hobby kit, by the way. I got to the point where I, I've started to use a lot of the Mister Hobby colors, the lacquer paints, and you know that was a recommendation for from Spence. Spence mm-hmm. Pollard said you know to use them. With all and, the aircraft stuff, yeah. Yeah, and they they are I've been, you know I've used them on so many vehicles now. Got the base colors on. And I sort of, I do like this sort of, I like the modulation to an extent, but not so it looks like a 3D CAD image. Mm-hmm. So right. I sort of never go as far as you sort of, you know, you see a lot of the models done with that sort of um, technique. And then I just got the uh, running gear weathered and then just had an absolute mental block and just didn't know where to go with it. And I think I sort of, it became a shelf queen for about six months. And mm-hmm. it was a combination of, um, you know, good old Facebook. There was a an M5 Stuart page and there was a Australian guy called Dan Warcraft, I think his surname. And he was building. Yeah, Dan Workstack. So, yep. Yeah. And uh, we started sort of uh, private messaging and he sent me a photo and it was like an epiphany. He just sort of done this oil paint on the edges to sort of not simulate chipping, but it was more like just greasy, grimy hand marks mm-hmm. that you'd get around the edges of hatches. And it was that. That's where I need to go. That and the combination of I thought I'd try one of those um, like marbling stencils. I mm-hmm. sort of had a go with that. And again, Spence, bless him, sort of said, you know, you've got to keep the thing moving. Then that sort of marbling effect gave me the effect I was after. And I think for me was the rear stowage bin was like my sort of test piece. And, and I sort of sprayed that up and I was like, I think this is, you know, I've got it, Eureka. And then I mm-hmm. sort of felt brave enough to carry on with the rest of the model then. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you get into that role. And then I, it was almost like I got back on track to the techniques that I sort of I'm familiar with. And once I was back at that point, then kind of it was sort of 
sort of fairly plain sailing. Yeah, well, you sent me some photos and it wasn't shit. So I was like, well, John, I think you're on to something. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, I think you're doing some good stuff, mate. So keep, keep it going. going and <laughs> sure enough, it was like, I think what's, what, what Scott and I were saying is you sent us some pictures and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. That's not a that's not a model. Like, what is that? And he's like, no, no, it's a sixteen scale, you know. Cloud. I'm like, wow, you know. So yeah, yeah. It was, it was things like uh, I I sort of painted the tools first and painted like uh, jerry cans, and and I was actually using those really as a sort of to practice to see if I was going in the right direction. So those were the first things I posted up the photos of were just the sort of accessories, and it was almost like I was like afraid to do the main vehicle, so I was avoiding it and doing everything <laughs> other than the actual vehicle itself. Yeah. But I must admit, I, I've you know, really enjoyed it. Glad I finished it. As I was saying to Ivan, you know, ironically, the first kit I built, you know, the Yag Tiger, I'd love to do the 16th scale Yag Tiger. And then I think really the size of it, now seeing what the Stuart's like, I think actually, you know, <laughs> yes, I might give that a miss. Because I, the, the Stuart was actually slightly overwhelming because, you know, like each section, like just the hatch is the same size as a, a sort of a turret on on some you know smaller thirty fifth scale vehicles. So to just put the amount of effort into just this one hatch, and then you take a step back and you look at how much of the rest of the vehicle is still to be done. So I ended up sort of as like Michael do is just do a small section at a time. And the great thing now with so many of the products that are available, you it's not a case of having to constantly mix. And you think, have oh, I got the ratio right? So there could be tonal differences. You you know, you can kind of, it's like shake and bake. It's already there available. So I knew I could go back in a, a week or two and get this exactly the same results because I was using the same products. And, you know, and it just made it sort of more bite-sized for me. Yeah, I think even though the Stewart's not as big as other subjects, um, the fact that it's olive drab and that's always a challenge to kind of bring some depth and some life to an all over olive drab subject, your approach, like with, you know, doing that rear stowage bin all by itself. And then, you know, almost doing that, like a little kit, yeah. your, your approach to the weathering seemed to be almost like when you build and you're doing, you know, okay, I'm going to build this section and the turret and whatever. And it, it turned out really magnificent. Thank you. It was a bit, you know, cause I'd, um, I'd weathered, weathered all the running gear, got the tracks on. So I, th- I think there's some progress shots where you know, the bottom half is completely finished, weathered, and then the top half has got nothing. And that was part of the problem because the more I went on with the, the sort of oil paint rendering and other effects and the rust and chipping, I didn't want to make it too dirty to then hide all those effects, but I still wanted it to, to look sort of like realistic and, and not sort of like the, you know, it's that fine line between it being artistic and authentic. And that was the sort of the juggle I had to try and get the, the correct balance with that, you know, because if I'd have just daubed it in all the weather and effects of like muds and dust, then I felt like I would have just lost everything that I was so pleased that, you know, it come out so well. Have you seen the one uh, sixteenth scale looks kit? That's one I'd love to see you take a step. Yeah, at. I, I, I do like this. is such a cool looking vehicle. It's almost like a little sports tank. That one is so yeah, <laughs> that's like cool. Um, yeah. I, I have put my name down for the um, the one sixteenth scale Stug, and then joined got Dave Parker from AFE Modeler invited me onto the Facebook page, and uh, and it was like. <laughs> Oh wow, these guys guys are quite serious here, you know. And they were. Yeah, it was, yeah. I was just like, it's like I wanted to do the Homer Simpson thing where I just disappeared back through the bush, like myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm out of my league. Yeah. Just, the intimidation factor is real. Like, yeah, yeah. 
I do love your attention to detail, like looking at all your bills at the table on uh, at Scale Model World. And we were talking about like the the spent ammunition that you had on one of your tanks, and it wouldn't be shiny because obviously spent ammunition yeah. dulls. It's those little details. It's like ah yeah, because a lot of people would leave them shiny, so people deliberately concede them. But it's those little those little refinements that you do. It's like yeah, that's that's a Murphy model. Yeah, yeah I, I, a lot of that just <laughs> that just stems from more military career. You know, we're sort of seeing this stuff in use every day you know and you just and you know it's like when people go around when they sort of build dioramas and they're forever looking at mosses you know you'd like to see martin kovac you know where he'll spot something and incorporate it into one of his buildings and we were constantly sort of gathering mental information on projects and you know i just was very fortunate that i was around all of this you know all the worry stuff so you know i could get to see it firsthand you know it gives you those sort of little, yeah, little inside sort of tidbits like yeah <laughs> if I ever come to build a Hercules, at least now I know I need to put the coffee stain yeah, all, all on the, the side of the aircraft. Yeah, all the way down along the, the bottom of the fuselage, the mm. coffee stain from where everybody would take the coffee into the sink and it just <laughs> dumps straight to atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Are you doing anything for uh, the the uh, the Plastic Posse M3, M4 group build? I am, yes. Are you making- yeah, I've, I've kind of not really made a start yet, but uh, I intend to do it. It's just a really cool photo I found it. You know you got like ten days, right? Like it's doing oh, yeah, like a week. <laughs> okay, just making sure. <laughs> so I'll focus then. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think Ivan was doing uh, an M10, but I'd seen one that I really liked. It was the the late turret, so it's probably going to be quite expensive because I've got to buy the Tamiya M10, the, the US mid production one, to steal the gun. Mm and the hull and then use the achilles for the late style turret but put the three inch gun on it then put the armored roof and a cullen hedgerow device and i think it's got sandbag armor on the front so it is quite a cool looking vehicle it's sort of like you know the ultimate sort of m10 really you know with sort of about the improvements and sort of field mod so that's the one i'm intending to do it's just i'm still still gathering parts for it at the moment if it comes out anything like your achilles did it's gonna be fantastic thank you (laughs) do you actually build anything besides armor are you just a tank no i do do the odd aircraft yeah what else do you do uh (laughs) i do the odd aircraft um just really just for myself you know just sort of uh I, i it's generally color schemes, aircraft, the schemes that will attract me, you know, and if I happen to sort of like the aircraft, um, I recently finished the, the Tamiya 48 scale Dornier 335 and then a really old Isolary B-58 Hustler, but in the Southeast Asia bomber scheme with the black undersides. And nice. so, you know, and it was just from a, a one black and white drawing, line drawing in a, in a book. And it was just like, sometimes that's just all you need is that like, oh, I really like the look of that. And and I've got a few other aircraft that I tend to, I, by the time I finish the cockpit, I've burnt out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know I go, and I think it's that where you, you, you know, I get so engrossed in it and I'm painting all the dials yeah. and gauges and absolutely loving it. And then you've, Put the two ounces of the fuselage together, which then by the time I've finished sanding, you know, and, and I've gone, oh, now I'm bored with this now. And then it gets, and then I sort of look across and go, oh, tank, shiny. And then I want to start mm-hmm. building that instead. Like, so. <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah, I feel you on that one because there is there is a process to armor modeling that, that it's unique in the sense of how we can attack it as a whole. Mm. You know, or we, unless you're really doing an interior based project, you know, if it's mostly exterior, that, that kind of enjoyment of just kind of boom, 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 and you can kind of flow through it. And aircraft just mostly doesn't have that flow. 
and it's a different flow, different yeah. works, you know, mental flow and processing. And, you know, I, I look at like, like Brett Green stuff when he does things quickly and I'm like, okay, I I don't know how you did that in two days, but I mean, I understand that you're under the gun, but at the same time, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's doesn't happen in my world. So yeah, yeah there is something to, when you look at the tanks. <laughs> Definitely. You know, you think you can actually get quite a lot of the structure done very quickly. You know, you think top and bottom of the hull, two halves of the turret together and, and you've pretty much got mm-hmm. the essence of the vehicle then. And it's just a case of clagging on all the sort of smaller fittings, but within a fairly short space of time, you've got something that resembles a tank where, you know, especially with, with aircraft, if you're doing all of the cockpit detailing and you spend an inordinate amount of time on that, then you get the house of the fuselage together. And then you, so you've just got like a, a long, thin thing, you know, and you can't put the wings on at that point because you're sanding all the fuselage seams. You know, for the same amount of time, you don't seem to progress anywhere near as quickly as you would do, you know, on a fairly basic, you know, um, tank. Aircraft modelers will ask me, how can you do road wheels? And I'm just like, Fuselage seams, rescribing, <laughs> yeah. landing gear alignment, wing, wing joints. Yeah. yeah, wing joints. Yeah, I'll take my road wheels any day. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then I've done things where I, I picked up one of these like Rosie the Riveter wheels years ago, and I just feel that I have mm-hmm. to use it on you know any appropriate aircraft. I did a CH fifty three Sea Stallion, and it completely you know, all of it needed sort of riveting, and I did get slightly carried away with it, and then. I, I, I'm sort of so jealous of people that can get these straight lines and then I, I look at it and I'm thinking, wow, you know, and it's just, you've got this sort of wonky line all along the fuselage and then you've had to try and rub all that down again. And I'm just thinking, why did I even start this? Like, <laughs> like how did these people do this? Like, you know? Right. <laughs> That staring back up at the sky as you fall down into the rabbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But then, Absolutely. then I'll, I'll add weld seams to something, and then you look and you think, what have started here? But for some reason, I find that quite therapeutic, and you know, I'll quite happily do weld seams. But then if I sort of I've got to do the equivalent with aircraft and just run a riveting wheel along it, and you know, you've gone over the join and gone off at an angle, and you know, and just it's it's strange how you can have the patience for one but not the other. Well, you could just weld the aircraft. There up. you go. There's an idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that might get frowned upon, yes. but yeah, yeah, are we supposed to <laughs> just do it to take the piss out of people? <laughs> uh, I love it. Pushing buttons, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have uh, besides besides yours truly? Because I know we're friends. But do you have who are your other influences, or do you have any like exterior influences for your work at all? Like, are there other guys or newer guys maybe from new times versus old times that really influence you? Yeah, obviously, um, Martin Kovac's been, you know, absolutely brilliant. And I have to name drop here. I, I published his first article in um, Royal Magazine <laughs> and, and, you know, it was, it was a, I think it was like a BT7 or something like that he'd done. And then it was all like bare metal and rust effects. And it was just, you know, even straight away, then you're like, hmm, it's that I love him. I hate him. He's brilliant. I, you know, <laughs> I mean, some break his fingers. You know, been a real sort of fan since, and obviously Mike's stuff with uh, his books and you know techniques. He's always sort of been pushing. I think through. you actually published my first article inside ADH of all the titles. I think you're when I think the Churchill in your first go through yeah. with MMI was was my first because I don't think I I published I published more with you and Brett than I did with Marcus. Did we ever pay you? You know for sure. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got paid eventually. I knew who to talk to to get paid, though. That was the one trick I had was I actually knew who to email to say, hey, by the way, (laughs) how do I do this? So she would handle that. And and I got lucky in that regard. 
Um, yeah, I, 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 the guys from my own model club, uh, Kev Smith, obviously Darren, you know, the, all exceptional models. Dan Sankey, obviously Ivan knows who's done the ambulance. Dan stuff from when he first came to the club, you know, it's just so innovative, very clever. And I think we all just sort of, like I was saying earlier, we all just sort of pinch ideas from each other. or just, And we're also very sort of, no one keeps a secret. You know, if you've discovered something by accident, you, you know, I've always been more than willing to sort of tell, this is how I did it, you know. And I think it's that thing from the professional side of, of the being in, you know, the magazine business, that if someone, if you, if one person goes away and they've, Help, it's helped them improve their model that means they go and buy another model and then all the products that go with it and in a small way it kind of keeps the hobby in the industry alive you know so so this sort of being like all closely guarded secrets i just don't get that you know and and i think it i start to get more pleasure from just going to the shows and just putting models on display rather than being in the competition you know because people would come over and you know if they ask if how you did something you know more than happy to sort of tell them what I'd discovered and, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just a really nice feeling that someone goes, thanks very much. You know, never knew that. And off they go, you know, and then even greater, if you see them later on and they go, well, I've tried that. It worked perfectly. And they, you know, so it's helped in some small way for them to improve. Well, and that collaboration that you're talking about is, I think in, in the biggest way possible, the reason why this hobby seen such a resurgence, because people can actually now, like you were mentioning earlier, they can actually watch Mike do what he's doing in his books. Now, Mike's way better than your average article writer at explaining the hows and whys and, and kind of his theories. But for some of us that are a little slow, because, you know... um, <laughs> I've read his books a thousand times. Um, actually watching him do it for me is is kind of a better way to learn. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so watching Martin just take a piece of damn styrofoam and create an unbelievable building with a 300-year history in it or watching Mike do his OPR on the fender of a Stug has really made a lot of people go wow and they and they want to they want to learn and they want to be taught and that's what's fueling mm. this hobby i mean manufacturers can't keep their products on the shelves no and and i think that the the biggest difference is watching someone actually do it on a video you can see the pressure that they use the speed that the brush is crossing the surface for instance you know how much thinners or white spirits or whatever mediums being used to to dampen a surface down and you know like you say it's something you just can't do in a magazine with just a set number of photos you'll never explain yeah. it to that extent and then obviously you know say with like mics where you know people can message in and he'll stop and read them and then go back over a, a technique is so useful so it's in a way it's like people yeah. feel like they're getting a one-to-one tuition you know it's like with pigments. Yeah. I, I hate pigments and then one video <laughs> one video from mike i was like i love pigments <laughs> yeah i was so hesitant i know scott's been involved in this conversation for a while but i was i was resistant to joining the youtube you know obviously i'm friends with martin and and knowing what he was doing and everything and just focus on the books and this that and the next thing but yeah it was really a a blessing uh from both sides because i think like what john just mentioned was for me to be able to demonstrate or and or a, a video content guy to show the quantity of liquids on the brush, which is 95% of everything you do with weathering, yeah. you know, it's a thin chemical, it's on a brush, and then you put it on the model. That's like it. 
everybody and like how, but, but it's always those little variables and then trying to, but to stop and say, okay, this is exactly what the brush look and then hold it up to the camera and go, this is what you're looking for. And I, I spend more time talking about that than I do almost anything else well, now. It's just, is really fine tuning that. You know, I remember it's the bit where you roll the brush on the, on the sort of kitchen roll, you know. To pull just, it back and spin it. Yeah, yeah it, it keeps the tip sharp. Like, well, it's simple thing. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And again, you can never explain that in, you know, just a photograph in a magazine mm-hmm. article. One, you haven't got the space to, to write all of that. And two, you know, it would be quite a boring photograph just having a picture of the brush on a piece of tissue paper with like a, a little sort of like arrow drawn on it saying <laughs> the rotation direction, you know, sort of, but, but just mm-hmm. when you actually see it. It's the uh, only choice you have. Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> and then, okay, camera, do your thing. Yeah. <laughs> to try to take that photo. <laughs> well, it's like when I started with MMIR and they were still, still had quite a lot of the photos were in black and white and it was like, you know, there you are talking about using the correct oh, yeah. shade of olive drab and it's a black and white photo. And he's just going, okay, then. I remember those conversations well. Can we just print in all color? Because it makes it a lot easier. The funniest thing I think with MMIR when I first took over and, and the section that would cover all the new releases, the photos mm-hmm. weren't necessarily on the same page that the, the written information was. So you had to kind of keep going backwards and forwards and it was quite time consuming. So I decided to sort of block it out that each manufacturer would have a slightly different background sort of shade. So, you know, it sort of, you could see the, where each manufacturer was and the photos were all relevant on the page. And uh, a guy wrote in from some jail in America and said, I really like what you've done. But he said, what I don't like is you've made the magazine too quick for me to read now. And I've got lots of time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he used to. Of course, it would be the one guy. <laughs> he said he enjoyed like, spending all that, like, right. hunt the photo and hunt the caption to go with it. Like, you know, so- where's, where's Waldo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man. So I told you, Split has the best stories. I just like, come on. You can't make this up. <laughs> so explain to me, guys, and John, uh, this Magnum Opus build. Yeah, so that's where we ask our our guests, like, what's your Magnum Opus? If you could make your ah, gotcha, ultimate, okay, ultimate. Build. Okay, yeah, okay. Let's chat about that for a second because I'm sure John's got a few. Oh god, yeah. Well, um, the 16th scale Yag Tiger would be one of them. I think that would be sort of like. <laughs> The sort of ultimate. That's got to be what three times the physical size of the Stewart. I yeah, imagine. I think that. The, right. I think approximately I think the superstructure. You know, the sort of casemate bit. The yeah, that's yeah. the that the, the Stewart is the size is that size. Yeah, just so and then you. It's the Titanic to therefore recreate. Yeah. So um, God, um, this I think really it's um I do like Israeli stuff and I do like my sort of Vietnam armor um so really sort of mm-hmm. I, I think I think probably to do like America the one through to America the four you know that sort of thing would be something I'd really like to do lots of good kits for those yeah guys. it's just you've got ball and chains to do and I did those once the legend <laughs> sets nobody, nobody likes them no, all, 12 straight hours of uh, building a ball and chain yeah. so it was like note to self never do again like you know so <laughs> I tend to sort of, you know, I, I don't have a particular. I know, like the guys, some from my old model club. One of my friends I have to name check him out, Andy Willis. Always just always says to me, "All I ever do is paint green tanks." And it's mm. <laughs> sorry, like you know, I just happen to like the vehicles, that, and unfortunately, they're all painted green. Like you know, so yeah, I, I don't have a particular sort of genre. I'll just if it's a cool color scheme or a set of markings, that can be enough for me to think. That's what I want to sort of do next. but um. Well, that's why we always got on well, because we 
liked similar ways like that. Well, I love how that looked in that color. I'm like, I'm just going to make that subject. Like, I'm not just like a Panzer three, four guy, kind of an eye guy, you know, or a Sherman guy. Like, no, no, I like John, I, I oftentimes, even though he's done more of kind of what you said, the green tanks, but it's just because probably just the way that all happened with either kit release and or we're doing that or whatever it was, or, you know, a Sherman book for, you know, who, and it's like all of those things. And, but yeah, I'm kind of, I think that's one of the reasons we always chatted about stuff so much was that we really enjoyed the variety that you can get from various, you know, subject matter. Yeah, because there's an awful lot of people they'll just build German armor of a particular period or America, you know, so I'll just you know, say, it's sort of when I look at, you know, when guys say all I ever do is build green stuff and then I'll, I'll if I'm at, a, you know, like, oops, like Ivan would have seen it at Telford, you know, there was hopefully quite a bit of a, a varied selection. Oh, yeah. What about um, like Machining Krieger or Gundam? Or would you consider doing one of no, those? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, as soon as Mike starts painting those on his video, I'll just skip straight past it. <laughs> oh, and yeah, I'm sure most, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, what I, uh, it's like uh, Lincoln Wright, you know, his, uh, his stuff, mm-hmm. absolutely sort of incredible, you know, and it's one of those because the uh, same as Mike, you know, we both like the sort of we do extreme weathering and it's just such a great canvas to be able to sort of practice. Mm-hmm. And and the, there probably is, you know, if you get sort of, if I was to look deeply into it, there's there's probably do's and don'ts with it. But where I just sort of go, I really like that. I'm going to paint it in some funky style and I'm going to go to town with the weathering. Yeah. So, so there's certainly are, are things I would sort of quite like to do, but I, th- <laughs> I think because my modeling are sort of slowed down and I don't have a large kit stash and i just you know i sort of i'd break it out into a sweat thinking i'm never going to get to finish these without adding to that list you know so i try and stay (laughs) quite focused so true yeah Yeah, so true (laughs) well i want to talk about some of your builds but i'm going to start with you so you i mean you build a lot of great great kits uh what are maybe one or two of your favorites the ones that you're you're the most happy with obviously the, the Stuart was you know really pleased with that because I think that definitely sort of moved me on you know and I tried some new techniques learned an awful lot from from that one um I did a Israeli century and the shot cal that's another one that I and I think I did quite a lot of oil paint on that one because that one wasn't built for anybody in particular it just for myself wasn't for an article and I, I did a lot started to do sort of shading and fading with oils and that's that was a, a favorite of mine not that it's really been sort of publicized anywhere but just uh, oh the m10 achilles and that was a really quick build the one that was in the tamir magazine and also the um i've done two sheridans ones to be published for um the abrams squad which didn't published yet and then the first one was for the afe copy afe modeler copy from uh adh publishing or do little they do i can't think of the name of the title name oh the model military illustrated that's the one yeah yeah so i vietnam Sheridan on there was a military model or illustrated. I forget the order. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really embarrassing when I used to work for him. <laughs> I think I, do, I still do it. I still is it model military? Is it military? Yeah. Wow, I'm like, oh, I can't military illustrated. To me, I've still got left and right written on the bottom of my shoes. So, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. Totally with you. Only reason I remember is because I'm on the front cover in January. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I, I, there's there's 
been i think whatever model i'm working on is my favorite until it's finished and then you know it's kind of done dusted and i think you i think we've all probably suffered from it when you're working on something for a while you start to all you see is the bits you wish you'd improved on or you're not 100 happy with and you know by the time it's finished you sort of like i'm done with this one and then you know you get it out of the box to take to a model show in a few months time and i, I often look at it and think oh well i'm quite pleased with that you know and it's almost like who built that? That's I quite like that, you know. It's like you know, it's, it's almost as if you've forgotten, you know, and you look at it through a different set of eyes. Yeah, for sure. I really like that Achilles build. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that. Yeah, that was a rushed magazine build, but uh, the way that you modified the fenders and then your stowage, and then of course the Mickey Mouse camouflage, it is kind of in the same vein as Mike's uh, Churchill three inch gun carrier. Yeah, that that was to be honest. That that Mike's scheme on his vehicle really sort of was sort of the, the inspiration. I don't think I've done a Mickey Mouse since. No, I did. I did a Humber Scout car Mickey Mouse way back when. But yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah, and I've always <laughs> memories. I've always liked that scheme, and it was a combination yeah. of I just I, I was googling images, um, you know, uh, Achilles in Mickey Mouse schemes, and one came up as a color drawing for. Well, it was part of uh, I think it was um, World of Tanks. Um, so it was actually just you know mm. totally fictitious, but they done it in the Mickey Mouse scheme, and I was like, oh, I really like that. Didn't know mm. if it was a hundred percent genuine, and then thankfully found a really faded photo in a Polish book that showed an M10 with the the Mickey Mouse scheme, like you see on the AFE Club kit mm. of the Achilles, and I was like. Right. Yeah, the box are. I've got the green line now. I've seen a photo, so I could sort of do it. And I was so pleased that, you know, I was really happy with the way it came out, you know. And like I say, I, I'd almost committed to it without it being 100% convinced it was, you know, a true scheme. But, you know, that sort of one photo was enough to sort of. Photo validation is like the best reward. Oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Right there. Yeah. Dude, see? Leave me alone. I could do it. <laughs> yeah, because, you, you, you know, and the thing is, you go to the shows, competitions, and there's always someone that goes, well, I've never seen oh. one in that scheme. <laughs> Thankfully. There's always someone. I, on, on my phone, I've got folders for sort of each model that I've been building and obviously the reference photos. So you can just do that sort of just hang on one second, my good man, and then you scroll through <laughs> and then go, there you go, you know. <laughs> but because you get it all the time and obviously before the days of sort of like smartphones, you just have to go, no, honestly, I did see a photo. And they're like, yeah, of course, you know, so <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, I've never really understood that. I mean, we all we all look at modeling different, but you know, it's like you take a look at a lot of what Adam does and you know, Adam if he if he wants to put some uh, mattress bed spring ar- armor on an IS7, he's going to do it and it's going to not not only is it going to look great, it's going to look 100% legit whether it yeah, was or not, that's right. you know. And so <laughs> you've got that part of part of the art, you know, that's involved mm-hmm. in it. It's not just doing the modifications or the paint job, but making it look like it was natural. That, that's right. You know, and, and that's the thing with like Adam's stuff. Again, it's like, I think, that, you know, he, he's one of, sort of so many that are almost like subliminal uh, influences, you know, and you, you, you'll start be doing a particular weathering process and you, you start doing it and you're not sure why you're doing it. And then you, somewhere along the line, you'll think, yeah, or you'll see a picture and you go, yeah, that's that was my sort of influence. And like you say, with someone like Adam, they can do like a, a you know a 
prototype vehicle or even a sort of what-if vehicle, but they'll do it so well that you completely forget that it's a yeah. what-if vehicle, you know, and it just seems completely plausible. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's a very, very sort of clever thing to be able to do. Well, Mike, what's one of your favorite builds of uh, John's? I've always, I'm personally a fan of Centurions and John's always held that vehicle in high esteem and, and his Centurion builds, including, I didn't see the IDF you mentioned because I don't think you, like we talked and you'd mentioned you just kind of built it for yourself. But the Aussie Centurion, I think towards the end of our days with, with MMIR was one because I had personally invested a ton of time into one for myself, but you went through the whole kind of similar process and I think it's one of the more fascinating kind of unreally known, not really unknown, but just it's not the most popular subject, you know, Aussie Centurions. Um, so that one always was, was, I was always a big fan of that one. And then I'm just really, I'm excited for kind of what the Stewart's done for you. Mm. You know, I, I, I do think it is your best work as far as, you know, just, I haven't seen you in a while. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, that's there now. So now it's, you know, and, and it sounds like you're doing a bunch, you know, on, on, you are building for yourself as a hobbyist, but while you're still professionalizing it a little bit to, to push some stuff out. So it's, you know, I, I think like what you're kind of, and I'm, I think this of my own work too, is I don't really look back too much. I look forward. I'm like, okay, now where is this all going to go? So for me, I'm like, I know John's next work will probably be my favorite work because his last one was my favorite. So I want to see the next one. And that's usually, you know, that's kind of how it is. It's like Adam and Martin. Everybody's like, oh, I love that. Okay, now what's next? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Ironically, so, yeah. The, on the bench at the moment, I've got another Australian Vietnam Centurion, mm-hmm. which is another AFE club kit, which... I want to redo one myself, too. I'm with you on that. I think it's a, a fascinating subject. Yeah, I, I think it's such cool. a sort of cool, you know, like a man's tank, as I would say. Mm-hmm. All the little mods that they did for the yeah. jungle and in the worn olive, in the worn colors they were doing and... That's right, yeah, and, and, you know, and the various screens. Yeah, you know, it's again with like the sort of Facebook thing where you know you can join a particular group. I joined the sort of Centurion group, and I just was you know, posted mm. a couple of pictures up of the model in progress, and just got inundated. And then people, a guy messaged to say he was the two IC of of that um, mm-hmm. section or troop, and then sort of said, "Oh, we did this, we didn't do that," and it was just like, "Wow," you know. And it, it's just been it's so invaluable, and you know. A, Again, it's um, for this Centurion. I've used I'm using techniques that I sort of had a dabble with on the Stuart. They were sort of experimental on that vehicle, but now I've kind of now added them to my sort of like palette, you know, and with a bit more confidence that I know I can kind of I know where they're going to go, and it's not like a gamble, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, yeah, because they're so individualized. You know, I think that's one of the things you're talking about is you know various troops were. They're very specific to what they were trying to do yeah. per unit in Vietnam and what they were tackling and how they were modifications to the to that arm to that particular tank as it evolved through its time in service and combat. It's a very interesting little fascination of development in, in you know of a country's you know how they Aussies use that vehicle to handle that situation it was never built for, you know, that whole conversation. That's right, yeah. Like F one oh five is the same idea, you know, kinda that even though the U.S. didn't, but the the Aussies particularly would 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 tweak stuff all the time, mm. which I found you know, I find it fascinating. So like no two are the same. No, it, it looks like it's all locally produced field modifications that they've scrounged mm. and borrowed from wherever you know. And um, it, it's you know, and I I really like the fact that you've got things like um, parts were shipped straight from the U.K. in deep bronze green, and you know where they would just fit yeah. components, and so you know I've sort of incorporated that onto onto this one uh that'll be that'll be awesome looking forward to seeing that ivan what about you uh any favorites of john's work 
it's hard because they're all amazing, but two stand out and it helps because they were both there at Telford. So I could see them in person. <laughs> the, the IDF Centurion, because we were talking about that and I said, oh, I see you've got the rust from the weapon. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's because the amount of gun oil they put on it and then the dust and sand would collect in the oil. It's a really rich orange stain. Mm. And because mm-hmm. we talked about that for so long, I was like, that's, that's an awesome build. Oh. I so think I do I, really like that one. I like the detail you went to. I think I got my phone out then, didn't I, and showed you a picture or something to sort of... Honestly, it's true. Ivan, were you accuracy checking, Spud? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I had absolutely no idea. I was like, oh, I thought that was just rust. I, th- I think it's like a, it's a, a default now because, you know, obviously when I first started modelling and, you know, we didn't have like the internet or such well, didn't exist. And you, you had to sort of be able to sort of defend whatever you've done to a model because there's so many sort of naysayers and doubters mm-hmm. out there so you, you almost become very sort of like like default is to be quite defensive and to prove that you've not just made it up and you you know you have seen that you know somewhere and you've copied it from a real vehicle my other favorite was uh your d9r and i like that because of the the plastic carrier bag you've got oh. at the front of it with the revision <laughs> yeah that was I, that I was cool. that. it's all very small details because that was uh, done for what well, did that for the AK Weathering magazine. They had a special mm. issue on Israeli stuff, and that carrier bag was something I I'd added after. You know, so I think it was again having that sort of luxury of you know I'd, I know I did have to do it for an article, but sometimes mm. I know like Spencer will say right once the models it's finished to a point that's it move on never touch it again. But I I'm terrible that I'll kind of sometimes get something out ready for a, to take to a show and. I'll have like a little sort of epiphany and think, oh, I'm just going to add this or I'll add that. So sometimes the models are never really finished. You know, I'm always mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. fettling with them or, or adding. As I've been sort of trying new techniques and if something works and I'm happy with, if I can add it to a, a previous vehicle, I'll, I'll quite happily do that as well. I really like that. I actually, um, years ago, I'd only build one model at a time, but I get in moods where I want to put kits together, super detail kits, or I I, want to paint and they're not always at the same time. So I'll usually try to have five or six that I've got ready for paint, or maybe they've got a base coat or primer on them and I'll put them away so that when I'm in the mood to paint, I can come back to them. And like I built a Slave 1 back in, I think, 2017 and Mike was kind of trying to help me and I wanted to do some OPR, but I wasn't ready. And then I circled back around to it after he started his videos and I was able to do it and really, really pull off some things and, and felt great about it. So I, I, I like I like the fact that you're willing to take a kit and take a look at it and go, hey, I want to I want to change mm-hmm. this or tweak it or, I mean, just, that's how we grow. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's pleasing when you look at sort of stuff you may have built a couple of years ago to what you may be building now and you can see a progression. I've got models that I think, right, I'm not going to take that to a show anymore because I feel that I've kind of changed or changed direction or sort of improved hopefully so there is a noticeable difference and it's not up to the standard that I'm kind of happy with now but there's a period where there's sort of a transition where then they may not be where I am at this moment but they're not quite ready to go to the shelf of doom or to be stripped and you know chucked away so you know I kind of um, give them a second life almost yeah yeah so John anything besides the Centurion that's on your bench right now that you're working on or planning um, yeah I've got a M48A3 another Vietnam kit that again inspired by um, a set of decals from Echelon and it's just such a cool vehicle with the teeth on the front and 
250 caliber machine guns on the turret so that's another project that's just in the build stage and and then a, a just random uh stim tiger always liked that vehicle just such a cool looking lump and <laughs> and for some crazy reason thought i'd have a go at or want to try one of those uh, the ambush schemes that you see on them which is sort of probably going to be an awful lot of masking so but yeah that's the the, the three that are on on the bench at the moment nice one of the funniest things I've ever seen is that one little film that exists of the Sturm Tiger actually firing oh, wow. the weapon on it. And it's just, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just insanity on the highest level. Yeah. It's so great. Well, uh, John, before I turn the mic back over to Mike, I want to thank you for our listeners out there. Um, you know, I asked question, a couple of questions of John about his M10 because I'm doing an Achilles 2C for our posse group build. And John was so amazing. I mean, he didn't even know who I was. Yeah, he was going down to Bovington. He took pictures of him and, and sent him to me, sent pictures from his own build. I mean, just, uh, John, thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, I really appreciate my it. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, no, John's always, I think if there's if there's one quality I think most of us admire is John, you've always spud, you've always been, you've always been gracious with your time and your, your stories are always the funniest of the group. So it's always to have a beer with spud. I tell you what, it'll make your model show if, if you get that chance. So do you have any uh, social media aspirations of YouTube or doing anything past what you're doing right now to, to kind of maybe, I don't know, either get back into this, I guess, what to say or, you know, where you're going? Like, what's, what's your next steps or plans? I, I, I don't. Or just hanging out, having a good yeah, time? Yeah, just hanging out, having a good time. I was kind of, I was dreading this, to be honest. It's, you know, I, I, just a sort of little sideline story that I, when I was working over in the States, um, a girl behind the bar uh, in our local just across from the office said that I sounded just like Hugh Grant. Now, if Hugh Grant was a hillbilly, <laughs> then then, 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 I, then I was exactly the same. But, but you know, no, I, I, I don't think I... I think she was flirting with you. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think I have the BBC News presenter's uh, accent to, to do like my own sort of video channel and, right. and that, to be honest. That's awesome. <laughs> well it's good to see you again yeah, and I, you might. I, i've always yeah no yeah yeah same here we've we've the, these stories are great because there is a and i hope there's more i know with with covid and everything but i mean it sounds you know maybe in a year or so we'll we'll get the chance to to see each other and uh my plans for this was was to come for world model expo and hopefully maybe even you know one of the fall shows yeah. you know to, to, to kind of come and, and see me even scale Scotland or something. So I can come to that little Island that you guys got up there in the North Atlantic and come hang out and all that fun stuff. Sounds great. Yeah. We'll that, that's, yeah. that's one that I really yeah. want to go to the next year is the scale Scotland and, and definitely sort of Robert show, you know, so Rob Cronbecky keeps inviting me over and for whatever reason, it's just like, yeah. you know, pandemics or passport gets <laughs> eaten by the dog or something. Yeah, like, you know? So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be good to share a beer again. Definitely. Yeah, there's, there's a lot more stories. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few. Yeah. <laughs> Not for prime time. No, and I don't think, it, like they say, none of them started with, well, I had this salad. I think most of them have like, well, I had a beer or two. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for coming on. This was my main goal for Hall of Telford, like screw everything else, my main goal was get John on for an interview. Oh, um, so thank you so much for making the time and coming on and being so gracious and talking to me forever. Uh, it's going, I, I, but yeah, forever wasn't long enough. I listened <laughs> to you talk for, for eight, forever, literally. <laughs> Mike, thank you for, for, for joining us and being part of this interview. Absolutely. It's, it's been welcome. amazing. And Scott, once again, thank you for being a amazing mm -hmm. host. 
Yeah, I'll just echo that. Uh, John, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, uh, thank you for your contributions to the group build. I look forward to seeing, you know, more coming off your bench. Those two Vietnam builds you're doing sound great. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining us today as well. Can't wait for what Rinaldi Studio has planned for 2022. And uh, you guys have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Take care. I mean, I mean, I, I was the. I'm sorry, I missed it. And I talked to John afterwards, and he told me personally that he's like, "Man, I've, I really wish you were there. I really wanted to talk to you because John and I chat a lot on on Facebook." So yeah, Spud's a great guy. He's also doing the Sheridan book with Paranoid. So he's yeah, he's a wonderful, amazing talent. I've been communicating with him this past week because he's been sharing pictures of his Centurion. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. And it's Australian. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's not done. It's beautifully subtle. It's just spot on. Yeah, and what I love about his builds, and this is what I specifically asked him his his dust texture. It is so subtle, and I was like, "How do you do this?" And again, Spud, the guy is, you know, just walks me through it, and super nice. Any, you know, spoiler to everyone, you have to still buy his book and his articles, but, you know, he, he uses Tamiya paints then with, you know, Tamiya thinner, but he uses mineral spirits to kind of rub them away. And he says work section by section. So I'm, I'm certainly going to try it. I was really surprised to hear that since, you know, Tamiya's is an acrylic base, but just going back to Spud himself, really great guy, fantastic modeler. Again, always admired his work. Constant staple on the cover of Tamiya Model Magazine and a stand-up guy. So I was a little disappointed to, to miss it along with you, TJ. And hopefully we can get him back on maybe for a live session or something and walk through some of his builds. Have you seen yeah, for sure. 16 scale Stewart on the front of AFP? Oh, yeah. Oh, in person. God, so good. I, I kept getting these texts and you know, in the what's the middle of the night. And uh, I'll wake up to them. <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? This thing is so large. Uh, JB, you're running into that right now, but I know that. Yeah, it, it's a lot of canvas to cover, but it's beautiful. I mean, honestly, you could put that on a background outside, and yeah. you could you could dub it for a real thing. Oh, yeah. Like you you could easily be. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And again, big thanks to Mike Rinaldi for stepping in for that uh, for that interview slot. I know TJ and I we we owe you some cash on that one for taking up our seat. I uh, see. I, at the start of the interview, I was quite quiet. I was just fangirling. <laughs> that's, that's the first time i'd spoke to uh mike in in one of these recording sessions i was like oh you're still god, blushing mike, it's mike rinaldi oh my god <laughs> um so for the first like 10 minutes i say nothing i'm just listening but yeah that's Stuart. Uh, i've seen that in person it, we always say this picture oh, really? don't do it justice yeah he did the Stuart. he brought it broke broke bro- he brought it to um Telford, yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's stunning, and like I said, John, he's got all the time in the world for you. He's really helpful, really nice guy, and it, it was really fun to record with him. He's he's someone you definitely want to take to the bar because he's just got endless stories you just want to listen to. So that was a great. I don't even know how to end this segment, Scott. I can end it. Do it. It's a cupboard, not a closet. God. <laughs> <laughs> what do, what do you, you call know how that? many emails we're gonna get? <laughs> for these things in the next two weeks. It's not not a cupboard, it's a wardrobe.
Hey, a boot is footwear, not part of a car. Absolutely. <laughs> a trunk is also what you store stuff in, but it's not on your car. <laughs> a bonnet, right? As well. We call it a hood over here. Yeah. yeah. A bonnet is a bonnet is what Lori Ingalls wore on Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> the thing is, you also wear a hood. It's true. <laughs> your logic is undeniable. The benefit we'll of being an Englishman. All right, John, you you got a discussion to lead, don't you? (laughs) This is a good episode. Hopefully people have a good comfy seat. Now we get to the part of the episode where, you know, we just have an open topic. And this week we're going to talk about the power of pushing it. And what does that really mean? And it means being bold in a build in the interest of growth or just, you know, testing something. And it could be as simple as, you know, scratch building or, or even pushing a finish, which I think a lot of us have gravitated towards lately. And, you know, as an example to start off, uh, I'd love to use a, a friend as an example. And he's a close friend of ours and, and a really good guy, Ian Boner. He is out of the indie area. And recently he posted his IS2 online. And we'll be sure to share it with our listeners, but it is something that is really inspiring. And it is something I believe, and he's talked about it, has pushed him you know, beyond his limits and, and tested out a lot of things and, and took risks. And, and that's important too to understand is there's no harm in taking risks in the hobby. If you screw up, you can strip it or start over. But you know, I, I just want to start off with that's a really good example. And we'll share it for our listeners to see where you know he approached a scheme that you know, is challenging, a whitewash on a, on a Soviet vehicle and really to get the gritty and, and the patina that, that comes with that type of finish and experimenting techniques out of his comfort zone. And when he initially shared photos with us in a private group chat, I was shocked and honestly had shades of wilder right away. Um, you know, it, it is it is dang good. And Ian, I hope I hope you know that from the bottom of our hearts that your work is inspiring. And it, you pushed it and you pushed it in the right direction. And we really look forward to seeing it finished. And and that's just one example of many I think we can use. And you know, to start this off, maybe I kick it over to you, Ivan. And, and if you could give an example and we'll, we'll do a round table on what, what's a project that you, know, you got out of your comfort zone, you pushed, you learned, and now you accelerate through it. The, I'd, I'd have to use my Tamiya 148 Easy 8. For me, my I say end goal for for my armor modeling is to do the Spanish style. I love it. It's my favorite. I love the contrast. It's not realistic. Don't care. It's what I enjoy. On that, because it was a 10-day build, I had to do it quite quick. I just had to not think about things, just get on with it. But because it's a smaller canvas, I had to be more extreme. I felt I had to be more extreme anyway. So my modulation was very strong. My chipping was lighter than I would have normally done. And I managed to get a finished model that I'm I love and I'm happy with uh, because it's smaller, it's more extreme. The, the highlighting on it, the shadows on it, they're, they're much more in your face. There's much more contrast. And I'm just really happy with it. To this day, I'm, I'm still happy with it. The, the way I got to that stage is not thinking about it. Just just get on with it. And I managed to do it with a finish that I was really happy with, which is rare for me because I hate everything. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to go with that. The, the extreme finish of my smaller projects. And you've seen that carry over and that that has influenced you in future builds as well, right? And you've carried that kind of technique over? Yeah, because usually I modulate with paint and I know no matter how extreme I go with it, I'm going to lose it. It happens. But I know I can just come in with oils and then exaggerate it again. That's why I love oils. You can just redo your modulation with oils. So now I don't worry too much about the paint because I know I can come back to it. And that's why oils are my favorite product. Yeah. And I, you know, I saw that really exemplified on your on your truck, I don't think it was an Opal Blitz. Was it a Ford? Uh, it's the North African one. Yeah, where especially on the top of the hood, on the uh, cab area. 
Yeah, that's a it's a VS three thousand V three thousand S. It's a like an unnamed ICM truck. Yeah, but it's pretty much an Opel Blitz for sure. Doug, what about you? Oh gosh, guys, I I uh... <laughs> we can come back. It's okay. Oh, I won't have any more then either. <laughs> um, I, that's staying in the well, episode. <laughs> when it comes to pushing through, I am really good at finding excuses not to to even start sometimes on a on a on a project or continue on a project. A, a lot of times because it's something I've never done before. Maybe uh, maybe I'm trying a new technique of some sort. Maybe I was building a tank, you know, and I wasn't. It wasn't my thing. And man, sometimes. It's not so much doing something that I'm comfortable with, but just sitting down and starting to get myself to to do what I need to do and get it going. And once I'm going, it's hard to get me to stop. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I was on the bench probably two weeks straight. I didn't have a day off. I just, it's what I wanted to do because one day I've made myself do it. And then every day after that, I was just on it. Doug, it's interesting you're saying that. I mean, and interested to see if you guys feel that way. But I know when I hit a roadblock and I'll and I walk away from the bench, I'll, I'll take this issue, this problem, this obstacle to overcome, and I blow it up in my mind. And I notice that when I just get back to the bench and get after it, it's never kind of as bad as I'm afraid it's going to be. Do you guys have a similar experience? I'll, I'll tend to stop. And if, if I'm getting to a point where I've got to do something, I'm not 100% sure how to do it. I'm the type of guy that obsesses over the process in my brain on how I'm going to achieve this. And I'm not kidding you. I'll, I mean, to, at, at my age, you know, going to the bathroom three times a night is a, is a ritual, right? <laughs> uh, you know, you're sitting in there in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. Well, if I do this, then I will, you know, it's just... It's on my mind until I think I've got a process and or a, or or how I'm going to attack it. Then I can go back. But until then, it breaks. Can't go back until I can figure that out before I start it. Oh, 100% there. Uh, that's why I have a lot of in-progress builds. Yes. I don't sleep for that reason. I'm up all night thinking about <laughs> models that I've not even started yet. And yeah, the bathroom or the thinking? The thing, definitely. Okay. <laughs> Ivan's a young guy. I don't think he has that problem yet. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> TJ, like when you did your George Washington bust, I mean, it seems like you kind of hit the pause button for a long time. And then when you picked it up, you, you got through it actually really, really quick. And it was really great. I mean, what was your experience like when you did that? You're right. Um, I did. I had that. I had that bust for months. I don't even know. It was the first bus I ever bought. I don't know. It was weird. I just, I, I mean, I, I did that in two days from start to finish. It went from a solid chunk of resin, unpainted resin, to mounted on a wood block within like a proper display for like how a bus should be. And I think a weekend. I don't know. I, I don't know what came over me. All of a sudden, I was just like, I'm going to paint George Washington. What better way to practice painting than painting the most famous American that's ever existed? Who literally... Everyone in this country knows what he looks like and probably other countries too. I would imagine he's pretty famous. I don't know. I just, I grabbed my airbrush. I grabbed some flesh colored paints and just went to it. And for whatever reason, it worked. Yeah, I don't know. It was like a whirlwind. John, John, what about you? I mean, what's an example of something that you've kind of done along these lines and overcome? Uh, Certainly the T-34 that caused uh, Facebook to break for one day. It was, <laughs> the modulation on it was something that, it was almost, 
it reminded me of Tony Greenland builds with the titanium white edges where the modulation was, you know, so stark. And I was like, and this is the one where I, you know, talk about sleepless nights. Uh, that was one where I think, Scott, we had an intervention. I still, you know, I still have tear stains in my one shirt from talking to you that one night. But, you know, it was it was getting through that. And then during it, I'm also like, you know what? I'm going to push it more. I'm going to I'm going to use these oil paints and try to follow a Wilder's method. And, and then I made a T34 look like it had jaundice. And it was like just beaming like yellow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? But, you know, during that time going back and it was it was a great time to understand the principles of color and color theory. You know, Scott, you said it. You, I think I think you said it on the phone. I remember I literally remember standing in my morning room in my old house talking to you and literally pacing back and forth and looking at it in different light. I'm like, this thing, I'm about to ch- I'm about to yeet this thing off the back the back deck. But you know, you're like, John, calm down, put a blue filter on it and just finish it. And uh, sure enough, that was it. And learned a lot. And that was one where it, it kind of goes back to Stan's point where you reach certain stages and builds and you hit like a wall. And it could be in construction. It could be in I feel like the pin wash stage is like right after that I, I hit a wall because I'm like, damn, it looks good. I don't want to touch it anymore. And I find that, you know, the T thirty four was an excellent example and something that I have to remind myself where, hey, you did it before, you can do it again, just push through it and 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 execute. And, and finish and, and try to catch up to TJ on how many builds he's building. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, a, a, a very wise modeler once told me several times to trust the process. <laughs> and I just reminded you of those words. So so Stan, you know, you've, you've hinted at a few things on your end. Your projects, honestly, are, I feel like everyone is pushing it, whether it's your stowage, your finish. If you could pull back, you know, the layers and look at one of your builds that maybe defined you or made you push through something that you're particularly proud of we'd love to hear about it well i think i think one of the obstacles until somewhat recently uh for me uh in in building models is completing models right i mean it's a long time from start to finish for me i'm a slow builder and there's been years where i finished maybe one maybe two now at that point, it's also the phase of life and all our obligations you've got going on and so on. Moving out here now, it's just my wife and I, uh, obviously, uh, settling in, working in my other business, but I've got time to uh, spend some time up in the model room. My wife gave me an entire indoor bedroom in this brand new home to have a model room, which is like the most amazing gift. So I actually get to spend some time. So it's not a quick process for me. And I never will forget. I used to, I still do time to time. I'll get my hands on a Tamiya kit before, before most of the general public. Ask Marcus how many times I've gotten a Tamiya kit before he's gotten a Tamiya kit. <laughs> and I'll send him a picture and I go, you interested? And then after the profanity laced text back, <laughs> he's going, yes. And I need it in X amount of time for the next publication. Well, that happened with, to me, as a T50 or a, a M51, Super Sherman. Uh, I got my hands on a copy of that from the guys in uh, California. And I start to finish that baby in 21 days, which is unheard of for me. And, of course, I can't leave it alone. Couldn't do it out of the box. I had to uh, move the spare track links up on the side of the turret, and that meant scratch building the racks on it because the racks that Tamiya gave you weren't right, and that was meant putting stow- stowage, you know, correct stowage on it for the goal on heights and this, that, and the other thing. 
but dude, I banged it out. He was nice enough to put it on the cover. Uh, and that thing just has kept winning and winning and winning. 21 days is unheard of for me. You know, since then, I've fallen back into my old patterns of like <laughs> a year, year and a half. But, you know, that FA Miniatures kit, that little, uh, I mean, let's face it, the whole thing is less than five inches long. But, you know, with me, that still was a two-month process. So uh, leave it to me. I'll come up with a way to make something longer and more painful than it should be. Well, Hal, if the end result is like that, it's worth the wait. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Well, well, thank you all. I think that was a really great and spirited discussion. You know, now I'm going to kick it over to Doug to talk about what our listeners have had to say recently. All right. Thank you very much, JB. We've got quite a few uh, emails this last, these last two weeks. It's been great. Got one from Jonathan McRae. Hey, gang, I just got into the podcast recently and I've burned through the backlog of episodes in rapid order. He's got a driving job, apparently. Just wanted to say thanks for the great content, especially with regards to mental health and the social aspect of our hobby. As a newcomer to the hobby, the perspectives on these intangible elements certainly help provide an additional emotional and psychological impetus to keep going despite my busy schedule or hangups. Um, he does have some advice for Ivan. He recommends check out Culver's or Popeye's uh, for takeaway when you're at Nat's. <laughs> Um, he says, don't sleep on chili rellenos if you go out for Mexican food. <laughs> we have Culver's here in Denver. We'll, we'll get you that here. That just sounds dangerous. <laughs> he's warned us he's not really into spicy food, so we might have to monitor him a little bit. You, you give know? me the heads up first. He was like, just be prepared. Things are quite spicy over here. We'll That's just right. Some ginger ale and saltines for you afterwards. Oh. TJ, is your CPR certification up to date? It is. It 100% is. Recently, mind you, like within the last oh, two months or so. I just envisioned scenes of Dumb and Dumber where <laughs> you just start squirting mustard and ketchup into your face. And TJ comes over and punches you in the chest. <laughs> we got another big thank you about the uh, mental health stuff um, from Christopher Higson. He uh, he said he thanked us for helping him clean up his model room. He says that's really, really helped him uh, to get his mojo back and get working. Let's see, he says he's been in a slump for about two years and he's starting to feel the mojo again. And uh, And he's very excited about that. Darren from the Scale Model Hanger. Hey guys, just listened to episode 37 and enjoyed it immensely. Glad to hear your thoughts on projects and ideas for the coming year. He says he has a few big projects in the pipeline. The first being a 148 scale kinetic sea harrier FRS-1 that flew during the Falklands War. Um, he says he's not sure if we were joking or not, but uh, if we're looking for extra presenters, he'd be up for it. His qualifications are cool English accent, loves chatting about models and actually building them. He also has a great face for radio. As we all do. Tyler Shepard, actually, this goes right along with some of the things we talked about in our discussion we just had. He asked if we ever are have need of a confidence booster build, like a build you use to show yourself that you can make really good quality models. He has no drive lately to build, and scrolling through Facebook can be a bit rough because of all the fantastic builds he sees. What are your thoughts, guys? I think I think you just got to do it. You just got to build for yourself, and you know if there's something you want to improve on, that's practice there. Just, just work on what, what you need. Every build, every build of mine is a confidence builder. From George Witter, chapter contact for IPMS Race City. He says, yeehaw, guys, love your podcast. 
still trying to catch up as they're wonderfully long and full of good info and interviews. Uh, he would like us to uh, talk about a group build, the Sowsier Challenge. That's for Ray City IPMS. Rules are on their Facebook page and everyone's invited. Tom Holland, I assume this is not Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Tom, Tom Holland. <laughs> I'm sure we're, I'm the first person to ever drop that joke on him, right? <laughs> uh, hey, guys, great podcast. I'd like to say I'm not an armor builder. My primary interest is naval aviation and 172nd scale, but I've, I've completed two tanks in 2021 and have a Tamiya Panther A awaiting tracks. This was probably for me my question about the uh, yellow on the markings. He says RAF yellow is a slightly red yellow, not quite as orange as road stripe yellow. U.S. insignia yellow is not far off, but sit, certainly don't use lemon yellow, chrome yellow or any plain yellow. And then we've got, uh, I, I'm going to butcher this name, Thiago from Tiago. Brazil. Tiago. I have never thought a scale model podcast would be so entertaining, perhaps because there is a type of humor that only us modelers get. Not only that, though, some discussions are almost modeling philosophy, which is a more serious, deep aspect of the whole thing. For instance, applying stencils to aircraft is not only testing our love for the hobby, but is it really worth it when you consider the final result? Perhaps some, but not all. I'm 41, I've been modeling since I'm seven or eight, mostly aircraft, almost only World War II fighters, and almost only the true scale, 148 scale. I rarely post my work online, but some of it can be seen at iModeler. My latest is a P47 in Brazilian markings, which I'm particularly proud. He gives us the, the link here, maybe we can get that on the website. And by the way, that P47 is beautiful. And those Brazilian markings on it are really, really sweet. So yeah, go check that out. So from Southern... <laughs> so from Southern Brazil, I thank you and salute you. Keep up the great work. And thank you, Scott. <laughs> all right, that's all I have for, face for feedback tonight. And um, I'm going to pass that back to Scott. All right. Well, thank you, Doug. And... Uh... Thank you for the feedback, all you listeners out there in the posse. Again, you can send that to plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. Well, guys, I think that's about it for episode 38. Uh, please watch our Facebook page for details on our upcoming posse live stream that will be held Friday, February 11th. And hopefully we'll see some of you in Seattle on February 19th and 20th and in Denver on March 12th. So join us again in two weeks for episode 39 for more fun and discussion about all things scale modeling. Stan, we appreciate you joining us. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks, guys. Ivan, you still drive on the wrong side of the road. It's okay. I just want to say it's an aubergine, not an eggplant. Yeah. Um, it's been great. <laughs> you, you keep telling yourself that. Uh, give Marcus a pat on the bottom for me. I'll talk to him soon. <laughs> He's a hard guy to get hold of. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. We also want to thank our sponsors, uh, Tankcraft and Sean's Custom Model Tools, for all their support for the posse. Until next time, you guys stay well. And to all of you out there in the posse, here's hoping that each and every one of you find some time to spend at your bench. Well, I guess the only thing left to say at this point is... That seems well longer than last time. That was definitely twice as long. 
Everybody seen Boba Fett chapter five? No. Yes. No. No. Oh, Ivan. Ivan. I'm not going to lie. I'm with Ivan. Ivan. I haven't seen it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've not even finished Mandalorian. Oh. What? So check this out. We have, you know, like we've got Paramount Plus. We've got Discovery. All these different for Share the passwords with my girls, but they have Disney Plus. Do they share it with me? No. Oh, <laughs> change your passwords, man. Change your passwords. Hold them. them hostage. But I did see a picture in Bubble Fett with the new. I guess it's a it's a Nobu fighter where yeah, blown all the panels off and turned it into like a hot rod, a chrome hot rod. That's cool. It was cool. Someone's got to make a kit of that, or at least you know someone try to scratch out that little tiny. Uh, what was that? Was that Fine Molds or who did that kit? Fine Molds. Yeah, Fine Molds did a little one. Yeah. Or, or you could AMT. Yeah. Yeah. Which is larger. I could have swore I had a Fine Molds in one and I looked and I could not find it. I That's, I definitely that's too bad because it's probably like, worth about 300 bucks now. Because I definitely, because I have the Jedi Starfighter, which is also, I think it's like this big. It's so tiny. I could have swore I bought one at the same time as the Jedi Starfighter because I don't particularly like the Jedi Starfighter, but it was fine molds and it was Star Wars, and that was right around the time when there was the rumors that they weren't going to be making them anymore. So I was on Hobby Link Japan, buy, 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 and yeah, I guess I don't have one. I, I was pissed. I've got the quarter scale X wing by Fine Molds, and I, had, I and and then of course you know Bandai came to the rescue and got way too much of that stuff. The, you the can't 40, have too much Bandai. <laughs> the 48 scale X-Wing by Fine Molds is really good. Yeah, it's a beautiful model. It, there was no reason to get rid of it. No. It's it's fan I I have one too and I want to build it so badly. Yeah. Um I haven't yet, but uh, yeah, that's oh, it's so good. Yeah. I got I got to clear out my shelf queens and then you know, I don't have a problem starting something. My problem is finishing them. So I got to finish out these shelf queens. That's a requirement for being in the posse that type of mm-hmm. uh MO, so you're good. Going awesome. back to the Naboo fighter for the Mandalorian, I thought that too. There's a lot of scratch work because they have the open engine nacelles. The oh, they yeah. got like the the Vin Diesel supercharger at the front of the thing, and um, <laughs> the it. I hope Ravel or somebody does it. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Well, especially well, it keeps getting more and more screen time. I mean, it took them, uh, you know, forever to do the. Uh, What's the name of the Mandalorian ship? Razor Crest. Scott's got one. I know the dude who actually built that full-scale set for Disney. He's in Ontario, California. And he built that full thing in his shop out, in, out there in the Inland Empire in California. He, and, and then he built an exterior three-quarter view. And he said, it's absolutely amazing. Just what a, what a cool project. Yeah. Some people get paid for that. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. He gets paid crazy money, man. I'm jealous. Yeah. I want one. I haven't seen any of the Ravel. Are the Ravel ones in the States? Scott, how did you get it? Did you pre-order it? Okay. No, yeah. I just got it from my local hobby shop. Ordered it and they brought it in. Did I hear- The Spur Brothers have them? MRS. Did did I hear someone else is doing another one of those in a similar scale? Yeah, round round two, I think, is doing an AMT branded one seventy second scale kit, but it's a different tool. It's not a Ravel repop. They're doing their own tooling, at least allegedly. Yeah, so. yeah. I not that I 
these words have never left my mouth. I'll wait to see the AMT kit, but uh, (laughs) I'll have to see. I want to end up with one of them. That's for sure. The Ravel has some great parts of it and then some not so great parts of it. Um, The size is certainly attractive and the um, slide molded lower tub, I think overall is really, really good. You know, there's going to be some cleanup, but some of the parts of the ship aren't as good, but there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it just would be fun. Yeah. There's a guy that um, is on Shapeways, and now he started doing resin printed stuff called 308 bits, and he's got um, engine panels so you can light light the engines up. And he's doing he's done a figure of both Grogu and Mando, uh, both for it, and and a bunch of detail parts. And he looks like he's just gonna keep printing, you know, other accessories for it. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be a popular enough subject. There'll be plenty of aftermarket to take a look at <laughs> to take our money on. Yeah. Very cool. Very fun. Yep. 